3: Hi everyone, welcome back to the 442 podcast And today Liam We've got an absolute belter We've got a gentleman who's played 652 career football games Scoring 46 goals He's played for Hartlepool, Halifax, Bolton Wanderers He's also an assistant and a caretaker at Bolton Wanderers Manager at Derby Hull, Preston North End South End, Swindon Town, Bad United and Barrow <laughs> Highbad Bad. It's changed the name. Hyperbad, wasn't it? Uh, Hyberbad, yeah, but Hyberbad. what I am going to say. The home of a belter. The hope of the, the, the Biryani. Bir- <laughs> but let me finish now. We've got the coolest gentleman we've had on, and also he's your ex-skipper. He certainly is. And I'm gonna get it out now while it's fresh in my head. I seen him score a screamer away at Nottingham Forest for oh. Bolton Wanderers. Oh. Do you remember that, Phil?
2: So I'm thinking on this run this morning, cutting a long story short, about the ball that I played into John that day, and it was into you. Yeah. And he had chested it up. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking ahead, I'm thinking, well, what's John going to do with that? He chested the ball up the way, John, which, good control, but it was going up the way, so it was taking its time coming down a wee bit, and I'm following me pass, and I'm just shouting to Jai, my ball, John, <laughs> my ball, John, and I've hit this volley as sweet as I could to. You had dumped it the way, you were on the ground, the ball's in the top corner, and John's... John's getting up and celebrating, but that was probably one of the better goals that I'd ever scored. Oh, but, half, but it was half, just it? a clip into a striker. John having a first touch, following me pass, and then just thinking, I had. You've got to picture it, haven't you? You know, when you score yeah. a goal, I mean, there's a great <coughs> goal scorer sitting at the table here. Um, you, you sometimes even the night before, you know, you're picturing how you're going to play and how you. You, you, you envisaged yourself scoring goals John
3: is that preparation what you mentioned
2: it was sort of in a way mind prep yeah, yeah in a way you didn't you didn't just have to run I've been running today I'm just running to try and keep me fit an, as an old man but it was expected in them days your fitness levels were expected you know you were expected to be able to run more than the opposition or, or better than or stronger than the opposition and, and as a group we were such a tight tight group at Bolton Wanderers, which we'll, we'll be talking about. Such a tight group, we just used to demand standards of everything, whether it be head tennis or whether it be football or whether it be, whether it be running. I was a good runner. I want a great footballer and I'll hold my hands up. I was never a great footballer, but when I clipped this ball into Jonathan, I'm looking at it and I'm it to a certain extent, but I'm following it at the same time. And Jai's touches up in the air. My ball Bang. Top corner. That put us two nil up, I think, didn't
0: it? You used to go down the right-hand side, right? And you didn't even look you would play that ball, no eyes, into, into, into the front one and then continue running, look Aye. for it again. So we were expecting you to continue to run anyway. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And if it wasn't me, it would be Andy there often. You know to link and one of us in the box and it was...
2: The, the standards of football when um, Bruce Raleigh and Colin Todd came to the club went up in terms of the coaching for me because they were now thinking a little bit more about... OK, you've got that ball, what about this, what about this, what about this? And they were asking you certain questions, and I always remember that. John would be pulling on the centre-half for that ball. Andy Walker would be coming in here. My problem with Andy when he first arrived was when he was coming short, he was going long. And I, I'm like, well, I've got to get used to this, because invariably when he's coming short, I'm rolling a ball into him, and he's gone. This one. And the centre-half's coming out with the ball. So when he's going long, he's coming short, and... and so, you're going up a notch. All the coaching was, was going up a notch. All the learning curves that I was, you know, as maybe an experienced guy, 27, 28, you're not experienced until you start mixing with the experienced guys that have played at a higher level. And the ones that have played at a higher level, if you want to play with them, you're going to get to the higher level yourself.
3: Yeah, they're setting the bar, you've you
2: yeah. just got to try and get up to that. Yeah, 100%. I'm
3: going to bring you back to the start. Harlequin United, you yeah. always a right back.
2: I played, I started off as a, as a striker in school, in, in Sunday League football, but then um, realised that you needed pace, you needed quickness of thought and stuff like that. And I wasn't ever that kind of player. I, was so, I started coming back the way, as it were. So I started off my professional career as a right-back, but then I was um, again going back to the coaching side. I think a lad called um, George Smith, who used to play his football for Birmingham City, George was my first coach with Willie Madron. Remember Willie Madron? Yes. Willie played for England at centre half. You know, so I've got these two guys, not managing the club. These were both coaches on the training ground, and uh, one again going back to that figurehead, Willie Madron played for England. George Smith, technical guy, technical coach, repetition, learning you how to play the game from your position, but also other people's positions. So we'd have we'd have five guys that would come back on a regular basis on a, on a Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon and it would be purely down to right I'm going to work the right back Brownie here and, and he'll show you angles he'll show you what you're coming up against he'll show you what you're going to face your options and stuff like that and then it would be centre half Mickey Fagan I had Stevie Vass the left back I had that five or six different players that would come back on a regular basis and that would be educated on their position then yeah. because of, right it's all about the centre midfield role now and you'd step in and, and you'd be playing centre midfield so I had a, a in five years in two hundred and Odd games for Hartlepool. I probably played in quite a number of positions, but right back was me, Was me, um, my home position, if you Do like. Do you learn more, then,
3: by playing in different positions? I think so.
2: Aye. I think you learn a lot more, you know. You learn...
3: Awareness on their other positions. I think, so. yeah,
2: that's probably one of the main reasons why I was a bit of a loudmouth on the pitch. You know, I could, I could probably... I was an early sort of coach thinker. Not at the time, you're you not know, thinking, I'm going to go into coaching. I never, ever thought I was going to go into yeah. coaching. I, I only got told to go into coaching by Bruce Rale. And I was 33, 34-year-old when he said, what are you doing? You know, businesses off the field of play. I had a, had a bar, had a restaurant, had an electrical business when I was 22, 23-year-old. Well, yeah, you a,
3: fingers in everything, didn't you?
2: Well, being a spark... Um, well, I is didn't, that what you are as a trade? I, I came in um, as an electrician, uh, fulfilling my dad's ambition. My dad said, forget about professional football. Got you man, you, you've got to get a trade. <coughs> you'll, you'll now have banks of the town. Um so I, I got myself a trade. So I fulfilled his ambition for his son. But my mother's ambition, which is a strange one, isn't it? She was into football more than my dad. And uh, my mother's ambition was for me to be a pro footballer. And eventually, I got me indenture forms as an electrician. And on the same day, I've, I signed a five-year contract at Harlepool.
3: Brilliant.
2: So I was lucky. But, um, well, you must have little some
3: hard-working skill there, Phil, as well. There's a lot of hard
2: work went into it, but a, a lot of planning and prep, which you don't realise when you're there and doing it. You don't realise people are making decisions for you, you know? And that's what I'm doing now for my kids, and, and John will be doing for his kids as well.
3: So Halifax move, how did that come about? Was there other options?
2: From a um, from a three-game... What The, the Halifax move
3: from, from Hartlepool Halif- to, to
2: Halifax came about after I was captain um, of... Hartlepool at the time. Oh, then being a captain? You would have
3: been young, wouldn't
2: I, you? I was only 22, 23 when I first got the captaincy, but it was about 24-25 when I left. When I first left. And uh, and again, John, you'll you know what I'm talking about. Nobody, nobody wanted to be the shop steward. Nobody wanted the union job. So, and that's not being disrespectful of the union, just nobody wanted it. It was too much time consuming. PFA. PFA. Right. So It always used to fall back on the... So if nobody wants it, you've all voted, nobody wants it, it falls back on the captain. So I became the union man as well as the captain. Not that I wanted it, I just felt as if I had enough on my plate being a captain. So I had a lot of dealings with uh, Gordon Taylor and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden, we were unpaid for probably about five, six weeks in terms of wages, and then the bonuses for another couple of months, you know. So i phoned Gordon Taylor when he said you're well within your rights to withdraw your labour. So I told the players that we had a vote and we decided to withdraw our Labour. That was on a Thursday. We were playing Hartlepool, at Halifax Town on the Friday night. And that was probably one of my last games because I'm calling a strike. Not wanting to, not wanting to withdraw my Labour. I'm not I'm not making a union statement here. I'm just saying I had to call a strike. We all voted, we're not playing on Saturday, on Friday, sorry. And within 24 hours, we all got paid every penny that was owed to us, and we played the game, and probably one of my last games, you know? Right. But I had a good game, so Halifax, <laughs> Halifax the, same, the same.
0: Was it the reason, I mean, you being the, the spokesman and the union representative, but did they see you
2: as, like, the instigator, probably the... It falls upon your head, that, yeah. John, I'm afraid. Yeah, it, it, it was. Does. It was unfortunate, but then, <clears throat> as a young man... You're sort of fighting the cause for the players because you're one of the players, you know, and you don't understand that there's management and senior management and and then people that own the club that have put their own money in, and you don't realize that until you get a little bit older and a little bit more experienced in terms of playing and then become a manager, and then you have to stand that side of the fence and say, Well, we're not we're not paying you because of this, or we can't afford to pay you because of that. And you try and explain that to guys who are just actually playing the game of football to take money and put bread on the table, food on the table for the family. There's all them kind of th- learning lessons and learning curves that you, you get in your, in your time as a, as a person, not just as a footballer, as a person. If it was any other trade, I would be doing exactly the same. It would have probably fell up, fell up on my head that I'd have been shop steward because I was the loudest voice or then everyone was listening to me. I have no idea, but it was a big learning curve for me.
0: Surely jumping ahead when you've gone the other side, yeah. further down your career yeah. and you became a manager and everything else and especially, no disrespect, that the smaller clubs, yeah. let's say, you come across the same problems, you know what they've I've gone got, through. You've, I've got that empathy for both yeah, sides, yeah. haven't I've you?
2: got that empathy for both sides and, yeah. and walking into a boardroom and saying to a group of people that own the club and that have invested heavily and, and then understanding them and then walking into a change room and then having to understand them as well. So you're, you're on the fence, but you, you have to make a big decision. These guys are paying me. These can pull a contract at any stage. So, you know, for whatever you're thinking, for it, it's not done deliberately, it's done because of certain things. And then yeah. you're trying to explain that process to a player. Some players will just go, no, if you don't get paid, I ain't playing. And then other players will go, okay, I'll cut you some slack. And I've been in them situations, you know, where, where clubs have have tried to buy time and, and effectively, one one being a South End, who I got fairly close to the guy who owns South End, who was a single owner. So you've got a board. But he's a, he's a single owner, and he's—I can see what he's going through, and his family are going through. Yeah. And i am am trying to explain this to a group of players. Hold on a second. So I'm right in the middle. But at the end of the day, I think you've got to be true to yourself, John. You know, you've got to be true to yourself. Uh, I've always said that to young people. I've always said to them, whenever they've asked me a question, you know, what advice would you give to a young coach? You've just got to be true to yourself. <laughs> And I think that's the best advice you can give to anybody, yeah. whatever walk of life you're going into, you know. So you moved to Bolton. We've touched on Phil Neal.
3: Yeah. So I'm going to bring this up because there's a picture of you. I went to Isle of Man golfing last summer. And in this sports club. Was a, do you remember pre-seasons Bolton used to have at Isle of Man?
2: Aye, the, um, were like with Bury and... It's like a Lancashire Cup, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, and Burnley as
2: well. Burnley were there, aye? aye. Remember them? We used to... Uh, really enjoy them because it was, almost, it was almost like paving the way for what was to come later on, you know, where everybody, and having managed with Sam Allardyce, Sam's a big one for taking players abroad, <coughs> getting getting the pressures of, of football and family life and all that, taking them away to a place where you basically, you've got your teammates and you've got to rely on these guys for 46 games and put your bodies on the line and and you, you find out about honesty and your commitment and, and togetherness. And when you've got a tight group, we had a. I, I just enjoyed my time at Bolton Wanderers because I always thought the changing room was the best thing about the club. The supporters will always think they're the best thing. The management team will always think they're the best thing. The history of the club will always think that's the best thing. But I always thought that Bolton Wanderers changing room was was brilliant, nothing short of brilliant. And great stories, fantastic times and experiences. But taken back to that Lancashire Cup where we had signed Philly, Tony Phylliske, David Reeves. That's right, yeah. And uh, that was the Bross twins and the Bros. They, they, they were the strike force before John McGinley and, and Andy Walker and Owen Coyle and Mixo Patelainen. So I was always part of this process of... I've always, always believed as a player and a coach and a manager that if your strikers are working hard, the team will be working hard and it'll be a successful team. If your strikers have got the gift of putting the ball in the back of the net, we, we could be winning games 1-0 when we don't deserve it. There's always that yeah. belief when you've got strikers that that can do that. And we always seem to have that at Bolton. And it was always, a, I thought, a, a progression of the quality. When it, Phyllis Kirk and Reeves, I'm thinking, and I got to know Tony Phyllis Kirk very well. I knew what Tony's strengths and weaknesses were. His strength was his quality. His weakness was his work rate. That was the other way around for David Reeves. So they complimented each other very, very well. It great Reeves, on that, it? Reeves, who would work so hard for the team and he couldn't hit a barn door with a shovel at times when, when it was put on a plate to Philly would be the other way around. He'd bend, bend him in the top corner. He'd look an absolute world beater. But when you're saying, go on and we're under the cost, just have a little chase of that, Tony. And, and I, a good mate of mine. I always, made, <laughs> I always tagged up with strikers for some reason because I knew they were going to take me somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, they were. <coughs> they were I didn't think they were, were replaceable I thought they were a great partnership and then all of a sudden management team moves on and John comes in and, and Andy Water comes in and the quality was just
3: well we're going to skip back a little as
2: captain take me back yeah. Wembley
3: mm.
2: oh there you go sure, Tre- Tre- before, D- before D- reason D- Phyllis Kirk yes yeah Trevor Morgan yeah. Um, yeah. yeah Trevor Morgan Trevor Morgan and um, John Thomas
3: Comstif. John Tomstiff John Thomas John Thomas
2: Huh. Um, we are losing 1-0
3: against Torquay, will not we?
2: That was, a, that, was an, uh, that was a rude awakening. Sometimes you get them in games of football where you go into it full of confidence, it's only Torquay, that's not being disrespectful, it's only Torquay, Bolton-Monards, you know who we are, and then bang, somebody hits you with, right in the kisser with a, with a goal. And you go, ooh, we need to wake up here. And never forget, if somebody said to me there was 92,000 there, I would always remember that, it was 92 degrees on the pitch. And we weren't as professional as what football is now, meaning that wasn't us being unprofessional. We didn't know it was an ignorance, you know. We, we didn't have sports science. We didn't have water on the side of the pitch. We didn't have water in the bars afterwards. We had a few pints straight afterwards, and that's the way football has evolved over the years. And you know, you could say probably Arsene Wenger single-handedly turned the Premier League corner, and everybody just follows on uh, when he came in at Arsenal. Um, and we've got a connection there with Bruce Rehoek. But um, I remember I'd lost about six kilos of body weight after the game. Having gone one behind in the panic station and then the quality eventually won the game, got us through. We went back to the um, Bell House in Beaconsfield. I always remember the, that, was, that was sort of. You know what I'm talking about here, John. You know, when you, when you go up a notch as a club, you go up a notch with everything.
3: A hotel, a court. Yeah.
2: The whole thing, you know, you you know, you're not going to Isle of Man, you're going to maybe Spain or, or wherever, you know, you you're you just investing a little bit more, and, and the quality is getting better. And so we at the bellows, before, during, and then after, so it's just down the road. It's not a case of getting on a bus from Wembley and going back to Bolton where you have got five six hours on a boat We like one one hour, and then we just had the the best celebration ever because we'd won we won a trophy, you know.
3: It's equivalent to Papa John's what we just won, there, yeah. What have like being a captain, lifting the yeah. trophy? I'm going to say, sorry,
0: John. Just... No. That's mm. got to be been a boyhood dream. I mean, lifting that trophy
3: at Wembley. Well,
2: I'll tell you the, the full story, John. Um, at the start of that season, I had arrived, just arrived at the club, and we had five or six big players had just arrived at the club. But we had a... I was always conscious about what's it going to be like walking in that, that big change room at Burnham Park, you know? And then you, you're walking past players and you go, aye, I, I... I Aye, all with stature, you know, at that level. So you had Dave Fellgate in goals, who lots of experience. But I was never, I never thought a goalkeeper would be a captain, you know. I never. So I sort of went past him myself. Barry Cow, you know, you, you had not at the time. I don't think Barry Cow was there, but you had Mark came, you had Bob Savage, you had um, Trevor Morgan, you know, five or six players. I, I thought. Could be captains. Yeah. You know, and I've come from a club, Hartlepool, I was captain at 22. Then the three years at Halifax Town, I was I was captain. So I'm I'm not expecting the captaincy by any stretch because I've gone up what I think is a massive notch at the signing for Bolton Wanderers. So I've gone into this changing room and I said, well, I might lose the captaincy here. And sure enough, at the start of that season, the captaincy was given to Mark Caim. After the six preseason friendlies, captaincy was given to Mark Caim. First game, can't remember the game. Second game was always the League Cup, and we played Chester. Chester away, and Kamey got the most horrendous smash of a break, a broken leg. Horrendous. He'd gone in with Ian Benjamin, I'll never forget it. And Kamey's a big, strong lad, and he was writhing around in agony on the pitch. This is in the first half. So I'm in the change room afterwards, and captain's been taken to hospital, like you know, so I stood up. After the team talk and Phil Neal and Mick Brown had said whatever. So who's gonna and I've actually just stood up, so who's gonna take the team out? Second half. And Mick Brown, Mick Brown, not not Phil Neal, Mick Brown said, Well, you asked, you take him out, and you give me the give me the arm, man. And that's how I got the captaincy that that year. Right. So from that to the end of the season, and I'm walking up the steps. What can he do? Kamey's still on crutches. So, and it's the old fashioned steps. I said, come on. So me and Trevor Morgan almost carried Kamey up the steps with us, you know, and try to sort of give him that captaincy feeling because yeah. he'd had a nightmare of a season—a nightmare, obviously. A line in crutches on in Probably a hospital bed. Really he was out for way over
0: a year, wasn't he? he was oh, like, horrendous! It was.
2: It wasn't the best of. <laughs> it wasn't the best. Best of tackles, and it wasn't the best of breaks, if there ever is is yeah. one. But the 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 help that he got at the time was not the best neither. So Cammy right. was out for over a year, and eventually he'd done his career. Yeah. So that's how. I, Led, led the team up up the steps. But it was I was trying to drag Kamey up first for him to lift the cup. But he was struggling with that as well. So Yeah, it was a great feeling. And get me out of the stadium. couldn't You couldn't get me at the stadium. Lap of honour. I'm going round again. As <laughs> <going round again. laughs> you would. As you, would. you do. Oh, yeah, of course John, you, do, cause you honestly, think And all the fans still But there, you know. probably
0: think this is the last time I'll be here. Aye. So you've got to oh, take 100%, it 100%.
2: Yeah. So I really enjoyed it. But them definitive moments about the state, you know, Kamey, and that season, and then 92 degrees of heat, six kilos of body fluid, going back to the bellows. as if it was yesterday. And you remember it so well, don't you?
3: Straight on a pint, straight away.
2: Oh, absolutely. <laughs>
3: Get in there. Uh, yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: But again, going back, you, you were saying just then, a minute ago there, about <laughs> preparation and everything else. First thing, going to the dressing room, use big pot of tea. Huh? Half time, same again, big pot of tea. And that was the thing. I mean, you wouldn't see a pot of tea anywhere near a now. You
2: wouldn't see what? I mean, you wouldn't... No like.
0: So, yeah, lots of things in there. And like you said,
2: dehydration, you're playing through that. Game's moved on. And, and we hold our hands up, the quality's moved on as well. Absolutely. But again, going back to, to Bruce, going to from Bolton to Arsenal, which was always his big plan, wasn't it? You know, big club, the Arsenal, the only club in the world that called the... All of that stuff. So he was up there... He was never going to not take that job. Uh, whatever followed it, Bolton was history. But when he takes that job and then takes everybody on and then loses his job fairly rapidly, then this fella comes in. And me and Colin Todd, I was a, I was back at Bolton and I'm working as Colin's right-hand man. And we're in um, what did you call the uh, the uh, the hotel where we used to stay in uh, Harpenden? Remember it? It's a lovely hotel yeah. and Arsenal were actually using that because they, they hadn't built a London colony but they'd bought Watford's training ground or they'd sold their or whatever it was. So they were just down the way. They had no, all the changing rooms had burned down so they were actually staying in this hotel. That'll come to your mind in a minute. So we're there. We're playing Chelsea or something like that and me and, me and Toddy were having breakfast and in walks the professor. In walks... Um, uh, Arsene Wenger and he sees us two and he comes straight across to her cup of tea he's having a cup of tea with her an hour and a half two hours later John this is a day of the game this is, he's, he's took over from Bruce and he's telling us all about these plans about what he's going to do with Arsenal and what he's going to do with English football and the way this should be done in the, and where like, I'm like off the map I'm thinking wow if you if you succeed well played yeah. 25 years later yeah. but what did you really think
3: First, first like this, um,
2: a difficult one because we knew, um, being in English football, what the Arsenal change room was all about strength of character, they were together, they loved a the beer, uh, you know, it, it was just the way it was. And he was going to turn that into a teetotal change room. Well played if you do, but he, he was talking about the um. The hotel. And he was talking about building this village in the hotel, which was extension rooms. Yeah. Everyone's doing it now. Rooms for his players, who was going to invest in from abroad because he was from Japan. I think he, yeah, he France Japan, and in Japan. Yeah. He was going to invest in players from abroad and put them in this place in this village in Harmondsworth, which is kicking the backside from the training ground. They're kicking the backside from Highbury, and eventually Highbury then moving to the Emirates. I mean, the whole plan. I know we talk about Sir Alex Ferguson being the greatest manager, but in terms of the greatest innovator of, ch- of a change of football, that's in has got to be up there. He changed
0: so much, he did. he did.
2: And doesn't get,
0: I don't think he doesn't get enough credit. Probably no, for it. he doesn't, John. You know? I mean,
2: we know what football was like. It, it, yeah. I'm not saying it was unprofessional, but we weren't as professional as what it is now. I mean, you get caught with a pen in your hand, it's, it's, you're dead. But that's, that's a change in technology and a change in the modern yeah. day way of the We didn't world. know any better, really. We didn't know any better. We didn't know any better. No. Where did, I mean, you came from Berry, we're saying you're from Berry, didn't we?
0: No, Millwall.
2: Was it yeah. Millwall? Millwall. Do you went yeah. from Berry to Millwall? Berry to Millwall with Bruce. Ah. And then obviously, when Bruce left the club, right. he came that's back right. and brought me and Aye. Barani. Aye. Yeah. I mean, they in itself, I knew straight away anybody plays for Millwall, <laughs> you've got to have something about you in here. Because that is one difficult gig. And I'm not just talking about playing there, it just being a supporter there, being a manager there. It's a difficult gig. Um, it's a unique club. You need, you need uh, absolutely. You need strength to character. So now John coming from there was going to be a strong character playing front here, You know, so you can, whatever, you can have the crack with him. When he walks in, John, <laughs> life and soul of the party, and you're thinking... He's got strength, the character, and he's life and soul at the party. What go- what's happening here? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to have to go up a notch. You know? So it does, it drags you up, it, which is part and parcel of, of the education of football.
3: Oh, I've got a question here. So when Bruce came in, you've already touched that. Bruce were different to Phil. Mm. You just touched on it yourself. The calibre of players were coming in were higher from before. Could you see that yourself as a character? Yeah. in
2: It was almost the club was stagnant to a certain extent, relying on its name... Relying on its history, relying on this figurehead uh, in Phil Neal to be able to attract the right the right kind of players, but players are selfish. They they see results, you know. They see you know progress. We all we all see that players support us, everybody. And um, the club was sort of it was stagnating. When they announced that Phil Neal was leaving, and and then Bruce came in, I think it was an end of season. Do we? It was in June, I think, wasn't it? And and he he gets announced as this new manager and. Bloody I'll never forget the first training session. And everybody will talk about it. I mean, Paddy, we still talk about it. I was playing golf with Paddy the other day. And uh, we had 11 v 11 at Burnham Park. And uh, you wouldn't have been there, John. No, I wasn't. No. So we had 11 v 11 again at Burnham Park. So whoever was playing on, on the opposition, the team that started on the Saturday, there's the 11. And we at Burnham Park, full game. Socks up, shin pads on. And Bruce has seen, get your shin pads on. Because if I'm playing against you, you need your shin pads on. If I'm playing against you, it's the manager talking. If I'm playing against you, get your shin pads on. He broke my rib. He put Paddy out for about... Um, my
3: passes? Or... Yeah.
2: He put Paddy out for about four weeks. Yeah. Injured. This is, this is the manager? This is the manager. manager's playing for the, the reserves, the ones who didn't play at the first team on the Saturday. And he's done that, and I'm going... Phew. He said, the first thing he said to me, and I'm like, <laughs> I can't breathe. He said, never show anybody you're hurt. <laughs> So he brought your ribs. Never show <laughs> sure anybody I hurt. I can't breathe, by the way. <laughs> so, so what do I do here? I'm trying to ask for a new concept. <laughs> he was priceless. But he just taught everybody strength. Strength of character. He yeah. was hard man. Brilliant. Not the greatest coach. He's not bothered about that. Colin could do that. Whoever. Get on with it. But he was just strength. Whatever you did... You did it to the best of your ability and you had that strength of character. Leadership. He loved togetherness. He loved it. Even though he didn't... He wasn't a party animal himself by no. any stretch of the imagination, no. but he didn't court that, but he, he would know who, who would get on with that and let him get on with it. Cut him some slack to a certain extent, but let him get on with it because he needed that tight-knit group.
3: When you say that, cutting some slack, there's been rumours that John was the teacher's pet. I don't know if you <laughs> can answer that. But...
2: We had some fun with you, <laughs> He just He's, never got caught. Right, he
0: was right. cleverer than us. He never got caught. Please back me up on this, right? I was not the teacher's pet. There was no way in the world I was a teacher's Old, pet. Yeah. I no. No. I I got I've more.
2: Got... I got more than most. I'll be honest with you. I did. Well, put it this way, if you have got a goal scorer scoring goals, I'm a manager now. If you have got a goal scorer scoring goals and winning games of football for you, not individually because you never do that and he'll he'll be the first one to tell you that. You know, it's, if it's put on a plate and stuck in the back of the net, it's one nil, John John will wheel away and, and take the celebration, I ain't a problem, but you know, we've won. You know? Where where Bruce was concerned, if he had a priceless goal scorer, if he had a precious gem in there, he would he would polish that gem to to make it look shiny, to make it to make it be a better player. But me as a I don't know how far back I went into coaching as a player, mm. or how far back I went into managing people or, or trying to get to know people better. no idea. It's just who I was, you know? And I'm thinking, I'm fine with that. John's, John keeps going. <laughs> Carry on, no problem. And I think that was Bruce's way.
0: Well, again, I think you're dead right there. I think he turned a blind eye on a lot of things. You know what I mean? I mean, we had proper days out, didn't we? I we were the races, etc. and, you know, we, we got about. But, I mean, we got as many as we could together. There was obviously some boys that still, you know, were family oriented and maybe didn't come in as yeah. much, but we had certainly had 75 80 percent of everybody there well, pretty if, much
2: if we went to if we go back to uh, the Isle of Man trip and um, I remember <coughs> Mark Win Stanley um, turning up to a day out so we'd been working hard for about six seven days and in the, in the middle of it you know we got a couple of games and you got a day off or or you didn't train that day so we went to the beautiful Isle of Man and the high streets and all like so we're all out because you've got no um, family to worry about it at, that, at that given time. You're away from them, you know. So um, Martin Stanley turns up at this gig and his missus has got a, f- a board across and he turns up to the lads going out with his, miss- with his missus. Well, it didn't fall too kindly <laughs> on the group, it as, you, didn't, did it? as you can well imagine. But he was ballsy enough, if you like, to, to do that. Yeah. He's a better man than me if that's the way forward. I would not have done that in a million years, but she turns up and the rest is history, as it were. He sort of disassociated himself from the group. So consequently, if you've got one of them in the group, you do everything you possibly can to to make it easy for them, to pave the way, to get them involved in what we are all about. And eventually it was a bridge too far and we couldn't do it and, and beef left the club, you know.
3: Gonna give you time, playing time, or your favourite time, at Bolton playing. Oh, define playing time. I know like, I as a player, that. as a player. No, but what was your favourite time? As winning a game, winning a cup. Yeah. Know. What, was that, like, your favourite season or more? I when, think the, the When season. did you enjoy it more? I think
2: the season we got promoted. um, You know, it's a, a great, a great year culminating. We'd been Preston North End, local rivals, at Burnham Park. You ever get Burnham Park full? Unfortunately, the Norman Stand stopped it from being 30, 40,000. But obviously, that's part and part, parcel of the history of Bolton Wonders having to sell that to, to a supermarket. And I'm into that sort of straight away. I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. It's interesting to know that the club, as as big as this is, if it's mismanaged, that can happen. You know, you're selling an end and they're putting a brick wall there, to be fair. And it gets you into that that'll never happen again. We can't afford to do that. We've got three sides. We need to smash that wall down eventually, if we could do. Um, but that would be from results. So that would be us playing good football, filling the stadium and getting promoted. And when we got promoted that year, and um, that 1-0 victory, it was so tight, wasn't it? It was like they're three three and 3,500 from Preston, which is just down the road. We had 20,000, whatever it was. And... I'll never forget the referee came up to me that, that game, 20, 25 minutes. He might have heard the story. Came up to me and he went, Brownie, calm the team down, will you? We were absolutely rubbish. We couldn't no. pass. We couldn't, we couldn't play. But he was saying it to their captain as well. It was the worst game of football. That the name, by the way? It was the uh, it was the worst game of football you could possibly imagine in the first 20, 25 minutes. Apart from one player, and I think this was like in my head, I can still see him. Demanding a certain standard A certain kind of football And it was Tony Kelly Tony Kelly was in the middle of the park And he was still had the proverbials To get on the ball And the rest of us were, were bricking It's what this referee is telling me We're bricking it So you're trying to get on the ball As much as you possibly can You can see the crowd are nervous And this, that and the other Jai steps up with a 1-0 winner Penalty Sixty odd minutes on the clock or whatever something it was. Like that, yeah, 70 minutes and it, or something. You couldn't write the script. No. You could not write the script. And it was a it, that was probably a, a great time in, in terms of me going to another level as a player. Or you're mm. hoping you're gonna to go to another level as a player and get another contract, which I did. Um but is that the best time of my footballing career? I would have said no, um only because I enjoy I enjoy coaching and managing better than I did playing. Which is something that people cannot can get believe into
3: that later on, can't
2: we? Ca- I think hard believe. to believe to be honest I, with you, because knowing viewing,
0: knowing how much you were involved in it, you know, I I would have said, you know, obviously playing, but to hear that, I get it. I get it because if you've played at this level and you've managed at this level, that's gonna make a difference yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you're picking your wits and, and I know you you like pitting your wits against people. You know, you get deep at times. You, you look at people and you, you want to get in about them and, and plant the seed with them. A and, little bit more, aye. Yeah.
2: I think um, the physical side of the game and the reward that you got for that physical side and the camaraderie and the players that you meet and the people that you get uh, on the same page with and all of them relationships that you have, I just felt like managing that or coaching that to get a better, you know, was far more rewarding in my head. The fact that I'm actually affecting thirty people's lives, yeah. or, or thirty people's families, by winning, you know, it's not just a case of my family. And, and yeah, we've mm-hmm. we've done great, fantastic. We're part of a winning team, and my family's going to benefit. I wanted to sort of give that to everybody. So I, I think it's the uns. I've tried to work it out many, many times. I think you've got to be selfish as a player, but you have to be so unselfish as a manager. As a manager, and I think that's probably my side that makes sense. Mm.
0: What did you see your strengths yourself as a manager
2: that made the difference to you? I think um, not uh, mm. I, I think I, I managed without fear, you know. Mm. People manage with fear, you yeah. know. I managed without fear. I try to make it uh, a better environment for everybody and it, that's a difficult part because you can't please everybody you mm-hmm. know you can't if you do something you might have nine or ten that happy over there nine or ten might not be happy you know so you, you can please some of the people some of the time and you can't please all of them all the time unless you're winning unless you're winning and I think being on the training ground John is the best part of me still being active you know still being uh, not joining in training I don't mean that I mean being an active coach and many a time I've, I've stopped myself getting involved verbally because I'm I'm thinking I'm just doing that because I was thinking that. I was driving in this morning I was thinking about right. how can I improve John McGinney's touch or they, you know so you're thinking about it. so you then you well somebody might have said you don't have to if somebody had said that to me that would have stopped me from going in there. So maybe I'm just doing that for me. Right. You know what I mean? So you've yeah. got to get that balance right. You know what I mean? How can I improve this individual? How can I improve my team? So you coach for yourself sometimes. I, I always wanted to coach for you. I always wanted to think, can I improve the group? Can I improve the indiv- individual? And I think the best thing that ever comes back to me when a former player that I've worked with actually says, you're the best I've worked with. And I've had a couple of surprises recently. I'd like Giovanni. Giovanni said, you're the best coach I've ever worked with. And I'm like, I'm, I'm rocking on my heels here. And I'm thinking, wow. Yeah. Now, I mean, to get that from a player is fantastic. To do podcasts with the likes of yourself, I think where we're concerned, we've gone through the mill. Yeah. We know what it's like to, to win and lose, as it were. And it's difficult. It's a difficult world. It it's is. a difficult life. But at the same time, we're never going to gripe about it. We're never going to look at what we've got instead of what we haven't got. And I think you get so many people that look at what they haven't got yeah. and they hang on to that. Whoa, hold on a second! Football offers you such a great life and a great experience. A privileged life. Privileged, very privileged. And the higher you can go, the better. So when I got to the Premier League as a as a manager or a, or a head coach, I always look at my backroom stuff that I had behind me. You know, I always think Brian horn thousand games. He had a thousand games under his belt as a manager. Steve Parkin had three hundred and fifty games at that time. I've got vastly experienced guys behind me. With more experience than I've ever had, and I'm, I'm the one that's getting shot at. I mean, so I'm, I'm going to take everything I can get from these two, to try and improve the whole group, as it were. We had many. You'd have loved it, John. We had many. a uh, sit down in a room this size, and I'd bring the whole of the backroom stuff in, and it'd always be on the back of what I've learned from Sam, basically. Right. Get everybody involved. Make sure everybody's involved. Forget about you know, like if he's a kit man and stuff. It works for the academy. Get him in. Get him in. Inclusion. Always about inclusion. So I used to do that on a Monday, every Monday when I was a manager, either at Hull City or Swindon Town, didn't matter where it was. Even in, in India, Hyderabad, which you can't <laughs> So um, the reason why is I'd poke the bay, I'd stoke the fire, I'd just set something off that would get somebody at it. And then it's not just about being at it, don't get me wrong. But it gets some, and you just see the the honesty in people when it spills out, and the the, the amount of controversy it can cause. You know, it can, because you believe in something. And I, I, whoa, hold on a second. Where, you, where are you going with that? You know, it, it would be from a background. It would be from you know your history in the game. It would be from your family. Like, it could be from anything. But you you're willing enough to bring it to the party, and once that happens, you're just lighting the fire that'll just burn forever. You know
3: that fire start then at Blackpool with Big Sam
2: it did I. it did going back to them Monday morning meetings um, Sam started them off at Blackpool and there was only four of us to start off with I tell this story with fondness because Sam had finished his playing career went to America and went to sample what um, life was like over there well the first thing he came back with was a coach per player so every player had a coach and I'm saying what you had a right-back coach and a left-back coach? No, 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 no. You said you had a coach per player, I meaning if I've got 25 players, I need to cover 25 bases. And that could be individually. I might come in one day on a non-working day, say, say for instance, I might be in Evan Campbellwood, with I always like a massage on my day off. Can you provide it? So that's massage, it's a coach. It's a coach. So it's providing a service for everybody, not a coach for everybody, but a service. But if you need a goalkeeping coach... Why don't you need a back four coach or a back three coach or a defensive coach? Why don't you need a midfield coach? Why don't you need a striker coach? Why don't you need a goal scorer, a set-piece coach or whatever? So it extended way back where everybody's talking about what all the greats are doing now. We were doing at Bolton back in the 90s, you know, the late 90s. So we are at Blackpool, me, Sam, Mark Taylor, Jack Chapman. That were the four. Um, me and my first year as a coach, Sam and his first year as a manager. Mark Taylor in his first years of physio and Jack Chapman had 40 years of experience as backroom staff somewhere down the lane, but he was Chief Scout. So we had these meetings on a Monday morning. We used to discuss all sorts of stuff. And it started us off at doing that as part of my DNA. Now as a manager, I do that all the time because I need to know a little bit more about you. I need to know a little bit more about you. I need to know a little bit more about these two. And it's a true story, this. And Jimmy Phillips, legend of the club, um, played at a higher level than me by a long way, Rangers, wasn't he? Rangers, yeah, uh, And uh, and Jimmy was academy manager. And I've told this story recently to a press lad, and he was astounded. Um, we had this is the the big Sam chuckle, right? His shoulders started going before you'd start the, the laugh or the smile. The shoulders would go, and straight away I'd be right next to him. I'd be I'd be chairing the meeting. I'm looking at and... Eight o'clock on a Monday morning. Could have, Anything could happen at the weekend apart from the result. Could have had a great night out on, the, on a Sunday night and you're coming ahead hit it. I used to chair the meeting and his shoulders are going up and down now. Big man, no microphone. Big man, what are you laughing at? Because he wasn't laughing, but it was coming. <laughs> the big guffaw, you know. What are you laughing at? He said, Count how many's in the room. So I counted around with 36. <laughs> from four when we were at Blackpool, we had 36 in the room this was at the old um, Exeter
0: training, yeah.
2: where we had the yep. war room and that's one of the things that Sam wanted to build internally as a club and he was allowed to by the likes of Phil Guard, say, you know they've allowed him the money for that and that we had a great academy etc etc but it went I used to go around the group and everybody would contribute you, you'd say something about what had happened that weekend what had happened during the week from the previous Monday to now has anything happened? Would you change anything? Would you would you give something, you know, to the group or would you would you improve the club? How would you do it? Went past Jimmy twice. I didn't notice this. I'm just writing notes down about what people are saying. So it comes to you, John. Oh yes, sir, I do this and so the club was always improving. Came to Jimmy, no, no. Third time he said no. Sam nudges me. And he said, that's three weeks on the bounce. If he doesn't speak next week, he's out. And I'm going. He he's, he's Academy me direct. He said three times he's not, in, and he wants input from everybody. He doesn't want anybody just coming into a Monday morning meeting going, "Oh no, eight o'clock. What we're we going to talk about?" He wanted input. He wanted feedback. He wanted something must have gone wrong over the weekend. Yeah. Now he's got three weekends. So now I've got something to think about. I've got Jimmy there. Jimmy, you need you need to contribute. What do you mean? So you need to speak up in the meeting. I said, "You're a director of the academy. You need to speak up." Sure enough, next meeting came in, and he had loads to say. But why keep it in? Because if you keep it in, it's the academy and it's boat and Wanderers. So you've got a different business, you know. See, so the inclusion part of it was so important to Sam. And these are just little things that I learned from Sam. And you would employ only if you had time, and you don't get time in football. Was
0: it right? We we had the biggest backroom staff in the Premier League at that point
2: we did aye yeah. we did aye bar none and then we're back in the days John if you remember the manager of the month used to get a trophy and he used to get a I think it eventually it got blown out of the water by Peter Reid and people like that he used to have a budget and he used to be able to take the staff out you know so a Wednesday you get presented with the manager of the month award and you give a thousand pound or something from Sky and, and go and take your take a staff out for a meal thousand <laughs> pound wasn't going to go on too far <laughs> 36 you know so Sam started building up, and then really he's like, Hello, "Hold on a second, He got five grand. So they start. Eventually, got a ten grand, and it got it got squashed after that. But we had uh, we had one of the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. But it worked though. Oh, without and, without a shadow of a doubt. Do you know the one of the the funnies for me? Just from you, you, you can think about these kind of things. You can you can imagine them now coming at everybody on a Monday morning. You know, I went to a restaurant at the weekend, you know, and the menu was rubbish. And somebody would come up with that. That's nothing to do with football. And Sam would come up with, we should have a menu on the day off. And everyone's, what are you talking about? Should have a menu for players on the table when they come into the canteen before they go into the training ground. That's on a day when they're working. On a day off, have a menu on there so you get Tai Chi, you get, you know, you get massage, you get. Flexibility sessions, you get strength and condition on your day off. People started coming in on a day off because they they, they the just menu. choose from the menu, right? I, I want this today.
0: Right.
2: Provided for you. Brilliant. Simple brilliance, isn't it? And that was from somebody complaining on a Monday morning meeting saying I was at a crap hotel, uh, restaurant at, at the weekend and the menu was rubbish. Huh? <laughs> It's simple, it's, br- it's brilliant, though. It? it is
3: brilliant, isn't it? Very simple. And you're, Very
0: taking, you're taking away excuses from players as well because they're having the massage, they're having yeah. the recovery. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know what? You're seeing players investing in the club as well because they're coming in on their
2: day off because yeah. they want to be right. That's right. Yeah. And so you know. But the environment at It was brilliant, John. The environment, what we created at when it, it was almost as bad as when I left Bolton um, to go to another club or to start your own career. The day that you leave, you got this feeling, then you? Yeah. you got, oh, dear me, will it ever come back? And blah blah blah. The day that they sold Exton to Wigan in the paper, exactly the I had exactly the same feeling. It was like I just left Bolton. It's like what they're doing. it got ten million for it. So what, the amount of money that was invested when Sam used to sell a player, he wouldn't get the money. So Tomo, four million, just short of four million, Aston Villa. Klaus Jensen, 4 million to Charlton. Um, Ada Good Johnson to uh, Chelsea. He wouldn't get 4 million to spend in a transfer market, but he would say to the board of directors, Give me 100 grand and I'll improve the training ground. Give me 200 grand and I'll improve the facility. That The player that's leaving, you're going to different pastures, get on with it. The players that are left, we're going to get the benefit of you leaving with a percentage of this 4 million quid and we're going to put it into the training ground and make the place a better environment. <laughs> Simple.
3: Isn't
2: it? It is. And then the cell extra I know. Um, I, honestly, it was like a, a knife in the eye.
3: Gonna take you back. Was Sam bringing these idea, ideas in in the championship? Was he starting early?
2: It's it started very early. Um, you know, we missed out on the first year. Um, I've got here. I want to talk Ipswich game playoff. you know, and that that. Forged our our relationship with psychology, right? That got us to start thinking a little bit more differently because we had a young guy called Mike Mike Ford, who was from a company in Preston, who I'd started, you know, I'd started courting this company in Preston when Colin Todd was manager, and I was assistant, and then I got the caretaker manager's role for five five games, and we'd started calling a company called Advanced Performance. They loaned us a lad called Meg Ford. And I could say the rest history because Fordy was brilliant, nothing short of brilliant. He went, went on to work at Chelsea, went on to work in the NBA in, in America. He's a very wealthy lad now. And, um, and Fordy used to work on environments and stuff like that. He, you know, we he, want to change people's mentality by this environment that walking into on a daily basis. When Sam first came to the club, I had an 80% win ratio as a caretaker manager, which was like, I must be the unluckiest guy in football. I haven't got the job, but I'd already worked with Sam at Blackpool. So I knew what I was going to work with again, but I'd been banging this drum saying, I want the job, I want the job. So the first thing Sam had to see was pull me down from that high horse, get on it himself, and then see if you wanted to come on board. And that's the way the, the conversation actually went. And then we had this great season to a certain extent, Ended up in the playoffs, Ipswich over two legs, like you say. And um, we lost emotional control in the second game, particularly, you know, when you had nine, was it nine yellows and two reds? Something like that. Still haunts me, but at the same time, I had the privilege, if you want to call it that, of spending the next 24, 48 hours with Sam Allardyce. Imagine, you've just lost over two legs. What was it? What was the score? Seven, eight, nine it It's whatever. somewhat crazy. Six, it's daft. It daft. Was, was seven or something like we, that. We'd been drubbed. We'd yeah. been drubbed. So I had the privilege, if you want to call it that, of spending it because we were going to go straight down to London after the Ipswich game, going straight down to London to the LMA dinner. And uh, we're driving together, staying in a hotel. I've got the full day with them. Then we're going to the dinner. Then we're coming back up home and blah, blah, blah. And it was a real... If you, ne- if you had any fear... Of wanting to go into management, spend twenty four hours after you've just lost two games over a playoff, and you've been absolutely slaughtered in the second game, and you're actually pointing the finger of blame at everybody but yourself. Basically, you're, pointing, you're saying the referee had cost us the game. You're saying so that's Barry and and rightly so because I, I I did in my own head I was thinking that as well. You know, it wasn't a case of spending twenty four hours with Sam and Sam winning me over. I was thinking he's right. He's absolutely absolutely right. Nine yellow cards, two red. He's got to be right. But you looked at some of the incidences and then you think the likes of Robbie Elliott got sent off and you go, Robbie is the most placid guy in the history of the game. And he's lost the plot. So it must have been awful across that white lane. And we were this side of it. But we're seeing it evolve and happen. And he had a young guy called Mike Ford told us, you've lost emotional control and that's the reason why you lost the game. Not their fault. You two, and he's in my face. You two. So from that moment, I was uh, you wanting to fight, but then you're thinking, why is this guy saying it? He's, he's not courting a, a punch in the, in the face. He's, he must feel that way. He must have something to say. To the extent, this is his this is his job, you know. This is his business, psychology. And he's saying, we've lost the plot. Look, at, look at the body language. You two on, the, on the, what do you expect the players to be doing? Look at you two running up and down the touchline, ranting and raving. And we actually changed from them them days. Changed our way of dealing with players, dealing with ref- referees. Not trying to win a game by giving a referee a pot of tea before a game. Just changed our approach to them and the human beings. At the end of the day, they make mistakes, the same as what we do. And from them days, um, when we got to Preston over in the final, and that was at, um, wasn't oh, it. Wasn't was it? Uh, yep. So when we got Preston, that was Moise, wasn't it? Davy Moise. Yeah. And uh, winning that game and getting into the Premier League and then psychology just took over. How are we going to stay in the Premier League? And that was what it was all about. How are we going to stay in the Premier League?
3: You come up with that great question, didn't you? When we are driving down that. You've got Bolton in the Premiership, in the playoffs. But you're behind on all the transfers there, aren't you? Aye. In the market. It's, they say it's glamorous winning the playoffs, but really as a management team.
2: Hard hard work, aye.
3: You're behind, aren't you? Catch up.
2: I can categorically say that I don't know how he did it, Sam, but he attracted the unbelievable player to the football club and and no transfer fee and loan deals beyond recognition. So go back to the start of this interview when I'm talking about strikers such as Trevor Morgan, then you're moving on to Tony Phillips, Kirk David Reeves, then you're moving on to John McKinley, Andy Walker, and Coyle and and Mixu Patelain, and... and you're going, and then you're going. Eventually, you've got some world beaters coming in, World Cup winners. How is he? How is he doing this? Yeah. And it was all to do with the financial package, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, of which I was not part and parcel of. You know, it wasn't part of my remit to, to understand the the financial side of it. Do you know what I mean? Did you have opinions on players or, or did he tell you, look, we might be having we a culture about it? We had a great scouting. You go back to Jack Chapman. We had a great scouting network. Jack Chapman would come in on a Monday morning and and he would be banging in. That, that was his moment in the in the talk in the meeting. Talk, yeah. in the meetings. You haven't done your report. You haven't done your, any. Be in Sam's face. You haven't, you haven't done your report. Such and such. You had to have your reports in, and all these reports were manual. It was manual labour. So forget about what he's doing as a manager, assistant manager, backroom staff. You've gone to a game. You go to a game to represent the football club, and when you go to the game, you get all the the pros and cons you know you get the, the people that come in and say oh Bolton Wanderers Premier League yeah come into the Directors Box and blah 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 do a report do it on the way home if you want to but do a report have it on my desk and he absolutely drove the scouting network but do you need to scout JJ Kocha do you need to scout Yuri Yorke, Ivan Campo Yero? Fernando Hero. we did scout Stelios Janakopoulos but he's well, just won seven titles <laughs> I, mean,
0: I suppose scouting, just putting eyes on to make sure they are what you want. You know what I mean? But, I mean, there's no. The quality's not a question.
2: No. That's no. not a question. But the, the mentality that you're yeah. bringing into the group, as yeah. it were, will it work? Will it, you know, how will it work? Will it break the group? Will it make it stronger? JJ, when he first arrived, JJ Akocha, um played in the first game and we were 4 1 down. And. Uh, Sam took J.J. Kotchoff at half-time and Bernard Mendy at half-time. And he sat them down there and stayed 4-1. That was a finishing score. I think it was QPR, f- wasn't it? QPR, yeah. It was at QPR, but I'm yes. not too sure whether Fulham were playing there. That's why I didn't see it. Yeah. So whether it was Fulham at QPR, whether it was QPR, anyway, 4-1 down. He pointed yeah. at these two sitting on the bench and he said to me the words on the touchline, never, yeah. ever let me play a player on his debut in a Premier League match, he has to sit and watch it first. And I went, oh, that's a strong statement. I said, these players have played at the highest level. Yeah, but everybody, every foreign player comes to England. Not now, but every foreign player comes to England In back in the day, 2020, 21, whatever. Uh, sorry, uh, 2000, shall I say. And they'll be looking at the Premier League saying, oh, I can play at that level. I can play at that level. I can play that. Level. And then all of a sudden you get thrown into it and it's so quick. Nowadays, it's even more and they all think they can play at that level and it just comes past you at a million miles an hour and these two were shell-shocked but eventually we found out why JJ Kocha was shell-shocked his family hadn't came over he was living in a house in Horwich and it was empty he had no furniture so again the club moved into a different era we started having player liaison officer male and female you know because you've got the waves to deal with they're as important if not more than the player the players just got to play football the way you've got to look after the kids, they have got to look after the bank accounts, they have got to look after all of these stuff. So the club was again moving into a different era, way ahead of it, way ahead of Manchester Uniteds and Arsenal's and things like that. I've got one for you. I don't want to say disrespectful. So, JJ Cotcher, how do you coach him? You don't. Are
3: you nervous saying something to him or no, in no. shape? What is it? No, it's I cause... think
2: that's probably one of my, my strengths. Is uh, I don't get nervous in people's company regardless of who they are. You know, it's difficult to to say, Um, you know, I could go at the highest level, but I'm just saying where JJ is concerned. Sam, I got a call from Sam. He's in Spain. Um, We're signing JJ Kocha Brownie. Whew, how you manage that? Coupe Paris Saint-Germain. We're signing JJ Kocha Brownie. I need you at the Reebok Stadium now. And it was Sunday afternoon before o'clock. And, all the suits were down there, meaning the chairman and whatever directors needed to be involved, and then agents, et cetera, et cetera. And so all the suits are talking finances. So I've gone into the boardroom, and JC has got three agents. He's got three agents. And you're thinking, oh, come on, who is who is the real agent? Or they're just gonna get a third, or they're gonna get a piece of the pie, as it were. So having listened to it for about 10, 15 minutes, I just said Across the table, JJ is sitting that side of the table because we're Bolton Wanderers and we're trying to buy this player. So it was a, a void between the two of us. I thought, this is not right. Not like from a, a physical point of view. So yeah. I said, JJ, you've had enough of this rubbish, haven't you? And everybody in the room was like, first time I'd spoke. And I said, You don't want to be talking money? Come on. And I took him outside, around the stadium, in the changing rooms, showed him, right? You know, they all industrial site and stuff like that and I told him a few stories about Bolton and this and the other must have been an hour and a half We're walking around he was loving it just big every big smile coming to his face I thought I'm, I'm loving this fella for his smile forget about the football This smile came back in when we came back in they'd done the deal in 15-20 minutes because we weren't there JJ had, had been there it would have been more difficult if I had been there it would have been more difficult because we're not talking finance so I've sold the club to him to a certain extent albeit, albeit it was already done came back in where have you been? <laughs> I'm getting a bollocking from the chairman. Where have you been? We've done the deal 20 minutes ago, an hour and a half later. So JJ was just in to what we were all about, you know, trying to build a club.
0: And surely getting that quality in the door then was a catalyst to get
2: the other big names coming in big behind them. Big time, Yeah, big time. Again, I, I quite like the thought of, of the fact that JJ's biggest asset was his long throw. That's right up Sam's street, isn't it? He brings in this world-class player who, there's five of us in this room. here. you try and get the ball off him inside this room. You've got no chance. He's got every trick in the book. He's just brilliant. Spatial awareness, everything about him that you're trying to teach or coach players, he already.
3: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that was right up Sam street. So he had this yeah. ex set missile coming to the penalty box, and one of the most skillful players in the world. Yeah, long throw. Aye, aye. So it's it's ticking certain boxes. So he fit our bill, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. So when he was doing all these wonderful tricks, it was like you're on the edge of your seat. He would invariably come up with a ball, and then you stop being on the edge you start trusting a little trust. bit more. He would he would accept the ball anyway. And when Sooners came up with that. I mean, I, I go back to that as Soon as came up match of the day and he goes, uh, ah, they're just long ball, they're just root one and this, that, and the other. And, we're up and we've are we got Yorker having a the team, we've got JJ, we're long ball. Have a word with yourself. He actually took the pressure off. It wasn't putting the pressure on because we, we were big enough to accept anybody who wants to call us long ball, no problem. But we had certain ways of getting into the penalty box, one of them being JJ's long throw. But there was a lot of ways to, to uh, untie the knot, as it were. No,
0: definitely. Magical times, magical times. Great
2: times, that's the reason why from that question I came back to going into the coaching side and the the management side. If I hadn't, supposedly, if I hadn't had that coaching side with Sam at Blackpool, hard times, then coming to Bolton, great times, great players, almost made your job easy, but you can never do that as a coach, you've always got something to do. And then going from that to management and then trying to recreate What he was, he was, he was, he was. I'm saying not recreating; he was creating at Bolton Wanderers, and I always remember winning at Wembley with Hull City, and we beat Bristol City. And Sam had hung around because he was out of work at the time. Not many people knew that he was out of work in Newcastle, and um, he'd hung around, and he came in the changing room, and then he came on the bus, and then he came back to the hotel. with I'll never forget that, you know, because it's a mentor if you like, yeah, and you've learned everything from a managerial point of view, and he just wants to sit in a coach and he's with you. as proud you. as you are. And, aye, yeah. aye. Brilliant. Yeah. Well Tons. said. He's as proud as what Tons. you
0: I'll take you back, right, a little bit. Going back to when you were caretaker manager, how disappointed were you, though, not getting the job? Because you'd made a big play for it. Yeah. Your results warranted it. How disappointed were you?
2: It was one of the biggest disappointments of my life at the time, but at the same time, it has to be said, that the mathematics of of the life that we lead as it were you know so you're going into management with Sam Allardays at a club like Blackpool and that's going to come back and give you something it's going to give you a chance because anybody else that had to come in I hadn't worked with him before I'd have been out because I'd been banging this yeah. I want the job drum yeah. Yeah. so um because I've worked with him and he's such an intelligent guy you know he, he, a lot of people don't give him any credit where that's concerned because he's big brash bold and and you know, people think, ah, just uh, you know, head the ball, kick it as long as you can, get it in the penalty box, Everybody, anybody can do that. You've got to get people to do that. You know, It's not the easiest thing. When no. people don't want to do that, you've got to try and convince them this is the way to play anyway. So when Sam walked through that door at the Reebok Stadium on a Sunday and I'm sitting in the boss's chair, as it were, which was Colin Todd's before me, and I'm thinking about all the great managers, I'm thinking about all the managers before me. Colin Todd had been sitting in his chair and I'm sitting there and I look at Phil Garza coming through the room followed by Big Sam. Went, oh dear. I just got up with the chair straight away and uh, obviously made a play for him. Obviously he was going to get the job. First thing he was talking about, I'm not taking the job. I want you to come with me. I'm not taking the job. So he was almost saying it was on me for him to get right. the job. But the second part was put my name, my contact details on your CV. On your CV. So every time you apply for a job, I'm your reference. So I couldn't sniggly go for a job anywhere if you want. not that I would do. I was going to say to him, because he would say to me before I even got it, where's the time? Where's the time going in there? This happens, that happens. He'll know the directors. He'll know what's going on at the football club. He had his eyes and ears everywhere. Right. But I'd be a reference point. And I, I knocked at the door, Burnley. I knocked at the door at three clubs, Burnley, West Bromwich Albion and then I got the derby job. There was only three times in six years I applied for a job.
0: And was that just the fact that you wanted to try it on your own?
2: I was desperate for that. Um, I'd sampled that five games and I'd also sampled managers who, in my opinion, weren't right for the job, weren't right for the position of that club or whatever. And I'd also sampled managers that were, you know. Um, Bruce, I used to love to bits the discipline side of it. Sam, everybody thought had that massive discipline edge to him, but he would cut you so much slack if you produced. Yeah. And that's going back to our time with yeah. with Bruce Real. He would cut you so much slack because it was all about winning. Makes Dad, sense, doesn't that, it? Doesn't it? Yeah, it, doesn't it. Does, it does. Without it?
3: doubt, keeps him happy, doesn't it? Well, he's uh, producing, doesn't it? I
2: suppose. Happy change rooms and winning change rooms, but a winning change rooms a happy change room. So one goes with the other, hand in hand.
0: Like you said, the hope of the, the football ground, there's no, no point. If your dressing room's not right, you no. ain't going to be right. It's a simple ass.
2: Many times we've been in, in a wrong dressing room, John. I, in my early days, I, I suppose that was my apprenticeship at Hartlepool, when I had so many people doing the wrong things. And I was getting dragged into that, you know. And if I didn't get me move away from Hartlepool, away from home, as it were, and start doing things my way or a different way, first time <laughs> I always tell this as well, as a... It's a joke, but it makes a lot of sense. First time I ever had a lasagna, right, on a Sunday. So I'm in a pub and I'm having a lasagna. I'm 25-year-olds, right? But it's the first time I've been away from home. So I haven't got me ma and da to cook me Sunday lunch. So so you go to the pub. I'm playing for Halifax Town. I go to the pub and I'm on the phone with me, ma. I'm, I'm eating lasagna on a Sunday. She's like, she can't believe it. Well, that's... That was the sort of awareness. You've got to get away from well, you, certain things. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It just broadens your horizons. So you, you get to learn about life, as it were, by moving away from your home, as it were. You've got to be taken
0: out of your comfort zone to learn about things. Yeah. Because long, the longer you stay in your comfort zone, you never learn. Because yeah. you just do the same old, same True. old every time. And True. you're in that, well, that's what we do. So it's that's not until we, you exactly. start branching out, you start to learn.
2: Avocado pear, first thing I'd had a avocado when I went to Halifax. i think. What, what's this all about? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't wait, couldn't wait to move again, you know, because I've moved like 100, 120 miles or whatever it was from the northeast, and I'm thinking the northeast is a hotbed of football. Then you come to the northwest and you realise that's a hotbed of football, and you're thinking, well, I've got to. Some, so I'm moving further away from home in my own head to justify my life eventually I've come here it's a beautiful place is it a hot bit of football it's not a hot bit of football but then I've gone to India from here because you know you're right next to London you, it's so centralised here John you know you can get to Bristol in 45 yep. minutes i tell you a great story there's a Bolton Wanderer supporter in Farringdon and I'm in the bookmakers and he went uh, I heard from the, uh, the book you're doing the uh, you're doing the uh, commentary for the Bolton game at Bristol Rovers. how are you getting there? I said I'm driving across here can I come with you? <laughs> and I went I've, I've made me better <laughs> like there's no out so I went yeah no problem he said I'll be at Tesco's on Sunday morning it was a Sunday kick off I'll be at Tesco's Sunday morning whatever time you want me there I'll bring them a bit of petrol and money he's given it all that big Bolton Wanderers fan Moved down here about 25 years ago. It goes to every game down here. Bristol Rovers, 45 minutes down the road. doorstep. And I took him to the game and I brought him back to be fair to him. Yeah. And he stood in amongst the Bristol Rovers supporters. He said, if anybody says that, he says, I'm on my own. <laughs> I'm fighting for my life here. Yeah. And he literally would have been doing that.
0: Just goes to show, doesn't it? You always find somebody somewhere, don't you? Down the line. <laughs> so I know what you said, what a place. I mean, this is a beautiful part oh, of the country, it
2: really is. Just bumped into the uh, the new boy in the uh, in the clubhouse, you young yes. Scotsman?
0: Yeah,
3: Scotsman. They get everywhere as well, don't they? Oh, they, brilliant. They, they know just,
2: brilliant. They're no, they're no about golf, that's for sure. No, no.
3: <laughs> They've got plenty of golf courses, haven't they? <laughs> just going to bring you about Bolton there, some names you said. Stelios, JJ, Bruno Ingotty, Campo, Florent laville Yorkie F. Yeah. All come in and, like... Just behaved, never heard nothing bad of him. There's not always great signings There's some bad ones, isn't there? <laughs> so I've got a name here. I want to Mario Jardel.
2: Mario, DM. me. He, uh, he had
0: a he good would... record. Unbelievable goal scoring record. I know. Unbelievable.
2: He had uh, the golden boot in Europe for two years at um, two different clubs, one in Turkey and one in Portugal, didn't he? So Sporting Lisbon, we got a deal out of Sportingism for a pre-season uh, tour mm. because of this Mario Jardel um, situation. When he turned up, he was overweight, but he had—you could see there was issues. You know, I'd, I don't mean I'm a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but you could see there was issues. He had problems. Uh, but what a finisher! Yeah. I mean, he had the, the toe poke, like you know, like the just punt. I said, like, don't even break a straight punting, and he was—they were going in the top corner. I'm saying that's got to be. a that's got to be lucky, that's got to be, do a session, you just punt in the top corner, I'm like, wow, just unbelievable, and what a, what a guy, great guy. We went to um, Sporting Lisbon for this pre-season, so we're in Lisbon, we're on the beaches, and we've took Mario eight days before the rest of the team are coming out, so the rest of the team are coming out for a six-week prep, they we're here there for the first ten days here, for instance, and then we're coming back to Bolton and play games at home, and We took Mario there for seven, eight days before, because he was so out of weight, uh, overweight and out of shape, and we we had him on the beach, we had him on cliff runs, we were doing fat burners every day, we were trying to get him, to, you know, eat the right things and this and the other, and he must have dropped a stone, and we were breaking it up. The backroom staff it was me, Mark Taylor. It was about three or four of us, and we were breaking these runs up, you know, trying to really get him into the ground, as it were, to a certain extent, not trying to break him, but because he was a fairly, again, he was another fairly strong character. And on the last day, I'll always remember this, before the team came out on the last day. So you had seven, eight days, eight days of purgatory, but it's on a beach. I mean, you're in Portugal, come on. You know, we can all do that for seven, eight days, no problem. And he had disappeared. His discipline had been impeccable up until this moment. So on the last day, it's a six o'clock run, seven o'clock run, first thing in the morning, 45 minute fat burn. And he had disappeared and turned up. So we're like, oh, Mario, where's Mario, where's Mario? And he pops in about 15 minutes late. He said, it's okay, just um, you guys have been brilliant for me. Just a little present, a little return. He said, but we'll do the run first. So we did this, this run. We've gone on the beach, on the cliffs, and we've, he, he wanted to finish in a certain place, so he finished on the beach. He'd only been to local fishermen, and he'd got breakfast. Uh, but they were all, it was all fish, everything so was, was fish. Beans, fish. Yeah. And his father was a fisherman yeah. by trade. And for the first time in my life, and I was born in the northeast, so that's fishing up there. First time in my life, he taught me how to eat a fish. He was completely a bone. And even the eyes, he'd eaten the eyes, the cheek. The cheek's the best part of a fish, you know, because it's mouth. So so it's the leanest part of the fish. He's going through all of this. And we're trying to find out, how do you know this? He said, my dad's a fisherman for 40 years. And that was getting to know Mario. So he was quirky, he was different. But he he was sort of bringing a little bit of Brazil. Yeah. And a little bit of Portugal and then Turkey and this that and the other. But there's goals, There's a goal scorer in front of her again. A guy that scored, four, I think, 44 goals for Galatasaray, 42 for Sporting Lisbon. So we had done the homework in terms of football and the quality that he was bringing. But the drugs had got to him. You know what I mean? He was probably... He'd bumped into the wrong people, which, whichever country. And a lot, of, a lot of players can do that. And then they will fall off and the career's over. And it was... We managed to get a year out of him, but it wasn't a, a great year in terms of him personally.
3: So it sounds like everyone wanted him
2: to do well. Absolutely. Do you, know, you
3: just wanted Absol- gave him every opportunity. 100%,
2: yeah. John, 100%. And a funny story, I mean, you bump into Brazilians now where, you know, I've been across to uh, India and I had Brazilians that were game changers. And, and there's quite a high percentage of, of the foreign players that go to India are Brazil. And uh, I mentioned Mario Jardel, everyone knows him. <laughs> And he said he was last spotted. <laughs> How this story gets out, you don't know. But São Paulo and his village was probably about 70 miles outside of São Paulo. But he always used to say São Paulo, São Paulo. That's where I was born. This village was probably part of São Paulo, but it's a small village. He was last seen shouting "house" at a bingo hall. <laughs> happy, <laughs> happy, exactly. Wow. He was up there and he was apparently shouting "house", house in a vociferous way, to say the least. But so, the Derby job come,
3: now, it was da- now John were explaining to me, like, you get managerial jobs because someone's lost a job, but it's very rare someone's <laughs> left a post for another job. Yeah. So you're going into the...
2: Small percentage, aren't you?
3: Yeah. But you're going in, first job, back, back against the wall, isn't it?
0: Well, well, the majority of jobs you get, yeah, a car you've process, got to go in yeah, and, and yeah, change it quickly, quickly aren't you? And, and, well, it's
2: funny. I followed a fellow Scotsman, uh, George Burley. George, I followed George into Derby, and he had a successful time at Derby. But he was taking, um, you know, he was firefighting every day, he was taking people on. And they, the, the reason why I'm saying that straight away, I've gone into a club that had sold Seth Johnson to Leeds United for seven million and invested that money into a training ground. So I'm thinking, Ooh, I'm going into a club that at least knows this is the right way to do it, because that's exactly what i like what Sam. Like Sam. Kind had, of similar but thing. he's getting 100 grand from a 4 million deal. They're getting 7 million. They're building a whole training ground with that 7 million from Seth Johnson. So somebody at board level knows what they're doing and knows what i are talking about and knows what, and probably has Derby at heart. Um, trying to find that guy or trying to find who was making them decisions was was a tough part. Um, but George had, it's like um, if I explain more, Farm, it's like a U, right? So the front end, you come into the main entrance here then the offices and receptions are there straight away. Then you've got the academy to the right-hand side and you've got the first team to the left-hand side and central and the canteen. But the academy doors were blocked off and were blocked off in no certain terms by George. He'd said, no, nah, I'm cutting the academy out. I don't have anything to do with it. It's got nothing to do with the first team. And he was trying to focus... I understand what he was thinking. He was trying to focus all his attention on first team football because he was hanging on for his job. This was cutting off a supply. This was cutting off... A lot of people's noses, because Derby Derby County players were that side, regardless of how old they were, they were that side of the door, and you're stopping that pathway. And you know what? It's late, like, John. When you're under pressure, why isn't he playing? Why isn't the kids? Why isn't he using the academy? And Tom Huddleston had come through the academy, you know, Marcus Tudguy, guy, people like that, you know. Some, and I've opened the first day, smashed the door down. Not saying that George was wrong. I'm just smashing the door down. I'm just trying to get that flow starting again. I've gone down the first corridor, there's 17 shirts of Derby County Academy players that had made a debut for the first team. And George is obviously trying to prove a point to to the people above. So then find out the Academy director is a strong character. Uh, He's got a head, he's got a voice in the boardroom and probably there there was the problem. So I had to find out whether that was the problem and I, I got to know this guy and he was a good guy. And two weeks into the job, I gave three academy players, 18, 17, 18-year-old, 18 I gave them pro-contract. And all three of them played for the first team. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of the names here. Lionel, Lionel Hainsworth, who little winger, played a lot of games. Uh, Lewin Nyatanga and Giles Barnes. So I've given them. They've all got careers. Every every one of them went on to have careers. So I was doing it right. I wasn't just doing it to make a point against George, nothing like that, because as a manager, you got too much... You've got too much to think about. You can't yeah, be thinking about yeah, yeah. You know. You've got a point to prove, of course you have, but you prove the point on the pitch. That's the best way to do it. So anyway, these, these three <coughs> players have gone on to play for Derby County and, and the academy now is flowing and we've got the, 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 um, the first team environment is joining in with the academy. So everything about it was, was going in the right direction. But again, again, not taking a Scotsman's name in vain, I had Murdo Mackay as my director of football who was an absolute disaster for me. I don't know why, I got on great with him, but he he got a deal done and I'm thinking, this is a club that's struggling, how have we managed to sign that player? How have we managed to sign? So there was something, skullduggery was going on somewhere down the line, but I'm gonna have to try and find this out. So if I'm trying to sign you, John, and you're the agent, and I've got me director of football here, manager, you've got the chairman, he would take everybody individually into a room. And he would talk to you about certain things and blah, blah, blah. And he would say, eventually, John signed. What? And there's me thinking there's a a void. I've got no chance financially or whatever. John signed.
0: But did you pick the player?
2: Oh, there wasn't a problem where that was concerned. I would bring the players in. But he was always trying to manipulate to a certain extent. But a lot of the players that he was bringing in were good players. They were good experienced players, you know. Darren Moore was one of them. Darren Moore eventually got, you know, what a great job he's doing. Darren Moore was one of them because I needed a big centre half. Darren Moore came from West Brompton, but he would get the job done. When I got the sack, it was only about four weeks later. I only had phone calls from the police saying, Mr. Brown, were you in uh, such and such a hotel at such and such a time? No. Was your chief scout? No. Right, okay. Was this man? No. I have no idea. Everything was going back to murder and it was all getting. So eventually, four weeks after I got the sack, Three of the directors, Murdo being one of them, got jail. Got jail for fraud. So I'm dealing with that as a, a first-time manager. Sam's not telling me anything because he's never sampled it himself. You know, he might well, tell a lie, sorry. His chairman was in was in jail when he got the sack at Blackpool, didn't he? Or in Oyston. Or in But that's for, you know, nothing to do with the football club. No. That was personal stuff. Yeah. But Murdo was all to do with the football club. And him, the financial director and the... And the uh, general manager all got the sack. They all got the, the jail. So that as a, a baptism of fear was, would frighten a lot of people off. Yeah. And you'd have done with football if that's what it's like. But you rapidly find out that all clubs are not like that. Most clubs are not like that. Yes, people try and get a, a deal done f- by doing certain cutting corners, say, for instance, but not cutting corners illegally, cutting corners legally. you know. And if you can do that and still survive, then well done. But I wasn't scarred by it. I really, I really learned a lot from the Derby experience. I wouldn't have been able to do what I did at Hull without that derby experience at all.
3: What you did at Hull was unreal though, wasn't it? Fairy tale, wasn't it? Yeah,
2: 104 years. Everyone keeps banging that 104-year drum, which was a very proud moment, you know. Um, but it was done genuinely by hard work, graft, you know, how to run a football club, bring in the right players. Um, the Monday morning meetings I always think Monday morning meetings mmM uh, they, without them I don't think we would have getting promoted we wouldn't have getting the manager that you've got sitting in front of you but um, you always learn you always pick up from from everybody and you, you certainly pick up from some good people and some bad people but you, you take what you need, you need forward and, and hopefully it's successful.
3: So hold, you went there catch me in the championship. And then it was the following season. What changed?
2: When when I kept them in the championship, um, it was a strange old gig. I got the the job as first team coach under Phil Parkinson. What a great job he's doing at Wrexham, by the way. Um, But I got the job with the proviso of keeping Phil in in work. That's what Adam Pearson said to me. You're coming in, do your stuff on the training ground, keep the manager in work because he's under a lot of pressure. So I've come in with that proviso. So on my back, on my on my watch, I'm thinking I've, I've failed here because Phil got the sack after about eight nine games, whichever it was, and that was a young promising manager from Colchester United. He had been to a couple of clubs before that, and this was his big gig. So Phil gets the sack, and uh, I'm going publicly saying I think I've I've let the manager down and I've let everybody else down. So I'm not really. Banging the drum, saying, "I need that job. I need that job." I thought I was going to get the sack as well. It didn't happen. They put me in charge, joint charge with uh, Colin Murray, uh, Colin Murphy, sorry, and um, and I learned a lot from Colin Murphy. And eventually, Colin told me after about seven or eight games, "I don't want this gig. I'm too old for this. I don't want. I don't want to manage manage the club. And you've got what it takes." So, on his proviso, I started pushing. Um, Adam Pearson I must have been the longest serving caretaker manager I must have been 13 games or something like that and eventually he took the whole backroom staff everybody in the football club he took them out for a Chinese at Christmas and we're all in Mr Wu's or whatever it was called in, in Hull and uh, he's sitting there and obviously he's big money man like, you know. he's sitting there at a the bar and loving everything that's going on great camaraderie and this and the other and he had this lunatic come up to him and say, well, I've got a job tomorrow to do on, I can't remember, we were playing Sheffield Wednesday, I think it was. I've got a job to, to do tomorrow, so thank you very much for the, uh, the Chinese, but I'm going to, to work. And, uh, and if you don't give me the job after the game, I'm out, I'm gone. And I left that with him and I left the place. And at eight o'clock the next morning, he phones me up and just said, Brownie, what are you doing? <laughs> do you want this job or not? I said, I've just told you that last night. said come and see me after the game and he gave me the job but I'd fronted him up in front of everybody and just says I want this job if you don't give it to me after the game I'm out I'm gone I got the position and the rest's history what changed he sold the club at the end of that season so we survived at Cardiff away we won 1-0 and uh, that was a survival campaign Leeds got relegated that year strangely enough and 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 then they just, the new group came in and just started, not crazily investing, took massive, massive amounts of pressure off me by saying we've got a three year plan to get in the Premier League. And this manager's in charge for three years. And I know it doesn't work that way, no. but three years to get in the Premier League. Let's just make yeah. incremental steps over the three years. What happens? We have a crap start, rubbish start. 10 games in, we're knocking at the door of what was happening the, the season previous, you know, so we're about fourth bottom. And then I made big moves trying to get players out. Eventually, you know, eventually got a little bit of, a little bit of team spirit, like what we had at Wonder. Wanderers. I got rid of the bad eggs, and I'm not saying they were all bad eggs by any stretch. Bad eggs can be bad eggs um, in the change room verbally, but bad eggs can be bad eggs on the pitch. You know, yeah. They're not really pulling their weight. And they're not really doing what, we, what you want them to do or what the team needed. And I got rid of them, and I, I brought one or two in, and... Um, And we started ticking, we started playing well, we started getting results, get to mid-table. And then (laughs) the owner publicly went, uh, well, now we're mid-table, we expect to get in the playoffs. (laughs) And then when we got in the playoffs, well, now we're in the playoffs, expect automatic promotion, we want to be in the Premier League. So it went from a three-year plan to a one-year plan, and all of a sudden, the last couple of games, we emptied. So I, I knew what team we had, what kind of a team we had. We had a team that could playing without the pressure of, of people expecting us to be in the Premier League. 104-year history tells you we're not going to get there. Yeah. you know. So uh, I had to t- try and take the pressure off. Sam, as an educator, was brilliant at doing that. Just brilliant. He'd make an absolute fool of himself, falling over on a training ground, do whatever, say something in the press side of you who does he think he is? you know. And so all of a sudden, piles of pressure on himself, the players playing relaxed football, not relaxed football, you never play relaxed football when you're a pro, but playing the type of football that's going to win you a game as opposed to the opposite. And um, and we eventually, I had to then say to the chairman, chairman, you can't just go three years to one, then one year to two games and expect a, a performance. So he had, to, he, had to back, he had to back down. So we'd gone into the playoffs, what for the way, two legs. And I said, Chairman, you're going to ask. It doesn't, doesn't matter if we don't get in the final. It doesn't matter if we don't get to Premier League. I said, well, it'll happen next year. Happen. So he started going publicly and pulling it back, what he had said. And we went to Watford. We beat Watford away. Gady Boothroy, who's just been in India yeah. with me, uh, played Watford away. We win, I think, 2-0. And Watford were direct. Oh, you've never seen... Well, Aidy used to be direct direct football get into the strikers big lads two big lads up front
3: Marlon King
2: yeah and um, who was the other one Duke Ellington remember yeah, it yeah, Wigan, Wigan, Wigan right? as well yeah. get, get it into the strikers don't mess around Get it, make the mistakes in the final three blah 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 so um, we're 2-0 up comes to the KC Stadium and I've never been so nervous in my life Jai 20 minutes into the game he's passed us off the park so he's completely changed. 46 games in the league, one game in the playoffs, route one. 20 minutes, he's gone, boom, boom, boom. From the keeper, he's padded. And I'm looking down the touchline, I'm saying, Nobby, what the hell is he?" And then Eddie Booth, he's just laughing his head off. The goal one up. And they go, oh dear me, 2-1, 2-1 again. It's tight. Nicky Barmby scored a little header, six inches from the line. He just followed the ball, spinned off the goalkeeper and he put his heart put his body on the line and and they scored and that made a 3-1 well it just relaxed me completely half time team talk was if they want to carry on playing football we've been doing this for 47 games they've been doing it for 25 minutes we're the better footballing team let them get on with it if they're going to go route one we know what we can do with that win the second ball play from there and we we ended up winning it comfortably you know and then go to Wembley What an
3: experience that
0: wasn't it did you change anything going to Wembley
2: um, treat them like Premier League footballers. Um, went to the Grove, you know, got all the, uh, the rooms. And if you wanted a single room, you can have a single room. All of the stuff that you learn all the, all the way along, which is commonplace now. Um, just remember that last team talk, you know, the last team talk before we set off. I'm, you're not going to hear my voice again. You've heard enough of me for 47, 48 games. Um, every training session, you've heard enough of me. We're ready. You know, it was one of them, we're ready. And that was at the Grove. And I never really addressed them until half-time. So before the game, just let them go on with it. Wave to your family. I and mean, as Sam used to tell you all yep. like, that, you know, wave to your family when you're doing the walk around, but get in from the sunshine, because it was 92 degrees, Wembley. Get in from the sunshine, wave to your family, 20 minutes when we arrive, and that's it. Get your backsides inside, get your body, long, you know, everything about you. It was all sports science Sam. It was all what I'd learned at Bol- Bolton. Bolton Wonders under Sam. So, all of that was in play, and then we go 1 0 up with a Windus. What a screamer! Windus Worldie. Windus couldn't have played as well as what he played uh, with Fraser Campbell because, go back to partnerships, John, one was quick, one was slow, one was back post, one was near. You know, you had all the partnerships that, yeah. that worked. Dean Windus couldn't work the channels in. So, when when a ball was turned into a corner by Nicky Barmby, of all people, who's a Good footballer. He turned the one around the corner. Known full well. Good players know how to do it. He's got, he's got Dean Winters up front on his own. That will not happen. He's got Fraser Campbell up front. Get that. going. Fraser used to chase anything. You know, Chris Packets, as, as he used to say. Get to the by lane. And by the time he's got to the by lane and turning back, he's down the left-hand channel. He's turning back onto his right foot. So he's bought another couple of seconds. Winters is just arriving at the edge of the box. <laughs> That's how far behind he was. <laughs> <laughs> Volley. Technique personified, game over. But what is it? it? Wasn't game over. We had a centre half, Wayne Brown, and um, Michael Turner. And uh, Michael Turner pulled his calf, after before half time. He said, I, "I can't, I can't run." So I'm saying to Wayne Brown, "No, it was the other way around." Sorry, Wayne Brown had pulled his calf. I, c- I can't run. I said. Nothing new <laughs> Nothing new there, Wayne. Wayne. was just a great reader of the game. He was just a solid character. So he couldn't come out the penalty box. So we just had to change the game plan, you know. And half time was all about when you clear your lanes, we've always cleared with lanes and squeezed. When you clear your lanes, you stay. So the two fullbacks, which was they were good at Andy Dawson, loved going forward. Michael uh, Sam Ricketts who used to love going forward. Just saying, protect Brownie, stay with him. So the two centre-halves two sitting midfield players at the time and the full wouldn't go front four just going whatever scraps so we won the game it was it was nerve wracking stuff because they were they were a better team in the second half is than we is were
3: Was it Danny Wilson?
2: With Bristol Rovers? Bristol City? Uh, Bristol City no it was I hope you think his uh, far, son The it? The father the father father's son Lee Johnson Johnson I said, aye Johnson aye. Yeah. and a, a great guy he's be some managed up in in Sunderland. They're good footballing people. Yeah. South Country, different different yeah. part of the world down there, different part of the world. So again, just like Bolton,
3: you win through the playoffs. You're playing catch up now. Transfer market, ain't you? Um, yeah. And then, uh, what? oh, should I take you back? Do you have a plan just in case you do get through? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Two budgets. Yeah, yeah. One for where you are. One for the
2: <clears> absolutely. Um, you have. uh you have all sorts of things, ABCs, you know, going on with various things.
3: When you say ABC, that mean player ABC, what you want in a position?
2: That would be one to ten, it could be any number of players, but the ABC format that we had um, was born out of Bolton again, uh, and it was um, A category player, you'll know this guy, yeah. 23 to 30. It's gone up to 30 now because people like extended but it was 23 to 29, uh, and after... 29 was a B category depending on where you were or, or who you were all about. So a B category could be 30 to 35 because the retirement age used to be 35 but it's 30, 39, 40 now. And a C category or you flip the two the B category is an under 23 player. And there's that many and the academies have proved this the B players are better at the bottom end now. Whereas the B players at them time were better at the top end. So the reason why we had a win this because we had a we had a um, a percentage available so you want to go 50 25 25 yeah or you can go 40 30 30 depending on the balance of where you want it to be if you have too much in one area it's going to overflow but if you have a lot in this area 50 percent a lot half your half your team is going to be in 23 to 29 you've got to have a massive budget because they're the proven players that a blind man can yeah. see yeah. play you know they've already done their done their apprenticeship the ones that the blind man can't see are the ones that are trolling the academy systems and watching them come to 21 and they've already played maybe 70, 80, 100 games in the lower leagues on loan from a Man City or on loan from a Man United or on loan from wherever. So that in itself has to be worked at. The overage ones, you've got to work at your sports science departments. Can you get a tune out of these guys He's been off the field of play for two years. He's broke his leg. He's, you know, how do you rekindle a King? Yeah. You know, these kind of things. So it depends on where you put your emphasis or importance, level of importance. And wh- when we were at Bolton, you've also got ABC and you've got a style of football. So your style of football is you've got to work harder than the opposition because we can't afford to buy £7 million Nicholas and Elke until 2006, 2005, 2006. So we couldn't afford a budget for to get a transfer. So you have to squeeze the budget internally to make sure they can squeeze the player and get the player performance. So it depends on where you put your emphasis on, on finances.
0: Learning some of there. So big signings. Who was your biggest signing that season? Your difference makers. You brought in.
2: I know, it's... Um... You know when we uh, we went to the Premier League, we made a statement similar to JJ Cotcher with uh, with Giovanni. It's a similar statement, and it was born mm-hmm. out of luck. Uh, me and Brian, home. Brian Brian knew the scene at Man City quite well, so we had this uh, meeting to bring a third cool a third choice goalkeeper, because we were thinking, um, Boaz de- uh, Myhill My Matt and had never played at a higher level, never been to that level, so it was going to be a lot of emphasis on a goalkeeper at Old City because you're you're going into oblivion basically. Everyone's yeah. going to batter in and this, that, and the other. So we're going to think, how do we get a third choice goalkeeper? And I'm trying to think of the lad's name, and he'll not forgive me for this. A scouse lad that was playing at Man City, and he used to be a Liverpool goalkeeper, and he used to have Bonus as his car park, uh, his his car plate, his number plate was Bonus because he sat on it. He never played a Champions League game. And he sat on the bench at Liverpool, and he got the gig at Man City for the same reason. So I was thinking,
3: Scott Carson.
2: No, no. I'm gonna. I'm thinking this lad is gonna come in and ruffle the feathers because I knew what kind of character he was. You know, he yeah. ruffled the feathers, and, and these two, Boz Miles, gonna have to step up, and Matt Duke gonna have to step up. Both capable goalkeepers, yeah. but you're going in the Premier League. We're not gonna start playing football like the Premier League's playing now. We're still gonna hit the hit the striker. Boz Miles technically gifted, he could he could. Exocet missile, throw, you name it, he, he could service a striker, quickly or slowly, whichever the case may be. Um, so on the end of this conversation with an agent saying that he can get the goalkeeper, he chucks in uh, Giovanni. He said, Would you be interested in Giovanni? We've <laughs> gone. I've looked at Brian Horton. Brian's like, I can see he's bubbling inside thing, and but he, he's a he's a he's a manager. If you start going overboard, it's going to cost it's you money. Question, so, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so uh, he said, Would you be interested in Giovanius? Oh. Nobby? <sighs> he starts giving it one of them. He said, How much? And he went, to Free transfer. We, I'll look at Nobby again. He's bursting now. Free transfer? Yeah. So that must be his wages. What's his wages? He went, 14 grand. So 14 grand a week. And he's a free transfer. He said, And the agent went, Yeah, but it's going to cost you 250 grand for my commission. So we've looked at each other and gone, well, that's the transfer fee. So I've got to go and get me me chairman. So I go outside, literally two minutes in the car park. I've got Giovanni on the back end of, of, I nearly came out with the goalkeeper there and I thought who it was there. I nearly, I said, I've got got Giovanni, 14 grand a week and 250 grand signing on. 250 grand transfer fee. And he went, transfer fee? I said, well, it's not, it's the agent's fee, but I'm going to have to pay 250 grand. Are we in? He said, get the deal talk. And that's how we got Giovanni. Well, to see JJ Kocha raised the profile of Bolton Wanderers and then continued because he came to Hull City as well. Mm-hmm. And i tell you about the first day when he came to the KC Stadium. And I'm used to three men and a, and a dog doing an interview, no cameras anything like that. There was 44 worldwide camera crews when we signed J.J. Acoccia from Bolton, the whole city, and he was 35, he was, he was semi-retired, 44. So it just raised the whole profile of the club, and I'm thinking, have I done too much too early? Because mm. this is a big profile player, albeit he's 35, he's still a big profile. And when I brought Giovanni in, it went again. It just became that, you know, the Brazilian who could play. But as soon as that sun went out, oh dear like, it wasn't the J.J. Acoccia anymore, it was just... Uh, uh, Giovanni didn't like the cold. No, didn't like the cold. But a good player, good player, John.
0: Did you miss out on any big hitters that season? No
2: one I missed out on um, when we brought Jimmy Bullard in. Yeah, and that was uh, that was the business flexing its muscles, saying that we can compete. So we bring Jimmy Bullard in, um, five million quid and a decent wage. That was a statement that we're going to go to the next level. Right. Sometimes it's a bit too quick, and you know, it took five years yeah. to get to yeah. that level. At Bolton, in the pre- yep. five years in the Premier League. So five years of money and parachute payments, if you get relegated and this like, year, but five years Premier League money, then you can afford Nicholas and get seven million. We're going in the first year and you're buying Jimmy Bullard. It's a statement to a certain extent, but he gets injured the first game and it was a disaster. Um, but Jimmy then started coming into my office and talking about players and players that he played with and who can do this and who can do that. and. Um, he recommended. Didn't have to recommend him. Um, uh, Bobby Zamora, right. and I missed it on Bobby Zamora, and it was it was close, John. It was close. It was like a couple of grand a week. Uh, Fulham were interested. They wanted uh, he'd had enough at Fulham, and the manager had had enough of him. And he, he loved fishing, and Jimmy took him around all the fishing lakes and Hull city. S- as strange as it gets, that can that can sell it. You know, can, it can win one over, and. Uh, And Bobby was very close. If I'd have got him, I think we would have been flying. Yeah. And flying early. And instead of him, I got um, Jan Venego of Hesselink. Celtic. And um, Jose Altidore. American. So I got them two. For the wage, I could have given Bobby Zamora. I got these two. Thinking that, I've got two players for For one. one. uh, You know, that type of thing. Bobby was, fitness-wise, no problem out there every game you let them let him go fishing a couple of days a week I'll play every game for you it's one of them you know, you're know. you just working yeah. massaging egos and stuff like that uh, but Jan couldn't run come to the end of his career know where the goal was and knew, you know, but just couldn't get there and Josie Altidore just had the worst attitude Yeah. worst attitude ever 10 million quid first black player um, to move out of America for 10 million quid went to Villarreal or somewhere like yeah. that and we picked them up on the back of that but he just thought he was bigger than the game.
3: So we've got a Facebook page. Phil Brownswood's commented what was it like to manage Jimmy Ballard being a bit of a character?
2: Jimmy's was, Jimmy was all right Jimmy just had uh, Jimmy had issues um, and a lot of things that when you get to know players a little bit better it's on a one-to-one basis and they do not they don't change the room to know about it you know And a lot of things where Jimmy was concerned on a one-to-one basis were, that the lad needed help, he had bipolar uh, problems, uh, he was hot and cold. When he was hot, he was absolutely outstanding, playing-wise and in the change room. You'd go out with him, you'd you'd want him to be there, life and soul of the party, funniest man alive. Greatest golfer I've ever played with in terms of um, a footballer playing golf. Um, all of them things, but when he was off, dear me... Um, you feared for the lad he was um, he would take the changing room down I know we've got strong characters in the changing room that you don't have to go down that lane but Jimmy was you know he was because of that it was it was difficult that part of it was difficult Uh, when you're trying to cut some somebody some slack because you know about that problem nobody else does so you're cutting them some slack everyone's going well I can have that I can do that and and I'm just trying to get a tune out of an individual that's why sometimes when Bruce used to say them words then he used to say treat everybody exactly the same it's difficult you tell everybody you're treating everybody exactly the same but it's very very difficult because how can you no. all with separate contracts you've all got separate contracts
0: everybody's got separate needs
2: Have got, everyone's got separate needs and I'm having a conversation with you John now it's, that's, that's a relationship with me yeah. and I'm having a conversation with Jimmy Bullard that's a relationship with me yeah. it's all different it's all different but that's the, exactly, art. that's the art of management there, you know, that's the the, the the greatest managers know how to to control all that you know.
0: But it's also the bit not seen, and the bit that can come back to haunt you as well. Because <laughs> yeah. the supporters out there don't know what no, was no, on behind no. the scenes, and a lot of decisions are made
2: on, on them these versus, things, um, and you
0: don't want them to know about no. it. But yet, why is you not playing them? Why is you not? Do you know what I mean? And it's it's tough. In the, in the world of football management,
2: I think you, uh, the more experience you get, the more you see this and the more you sniff it, the more you, you, you go, yeah, I understand why that's happened. But you can't actually go public with it if you're not on the inside because you're just guessing, basically. But you can see what's going on you know, there, yeah. you know that type of thing. Yeah. But that's experience. Yeah. And not everybody gets that chance. I mean, no. there was a statistic flying around about first-time managers that don't get an opportunity the second time. When you don't get the opportunity a second time, wh- what do you do? Wh- what can you? What can you do? Where do you go? When I lost my job, I'd been in uh, football management from '90, 90, about '96. When I lost my job at Derby, I'm only in football management for 10 years. I'm looking to try and get back in, but I've tried management. So all these managers out there, do you want to coach? Because this guy wants to manage, so nobody won- nobody would touch you. Yeah. And that's the hard part, you know. So when I get back onto the training ground at Hull City. I'm trying to keep Philip Parkinson. That Honestly, that is, as, as, as God strikes me down here, that was my role was to keep him in work. And I think that's, if you've got enough backroom staff that are thinking that way, that our role here is just to keep this guy in work. And next thing you know, you've got four or five years in management and you, you start dealing with situations a little bit better. That's the sign of longevity. That's the sign of a, of a great manager for me.
0: little bit of controversy uh, the Man City run I mean that was one for I mean me watching that I'm looking at that and I know exactly what you're trying to do Aye. I think
2: there do you regret that? I don't John um, being brutally honest I talked about me backroom stuff that I I've just told you about where Brian horton has got over a thousand games as a manager and I've got Steve Parton who's younger a lot younger than Brian who's got 350 games as a manager and I Ask them advice for everything, you know, everything, regardless of who makes the decision, who gets the praise. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I was going back to uh, working with Sam. Um, we're playing Arsenal away and Sam's come in late on a Friday morning. I've got a tactics board behind me on this communal office. Tactics board behind me. We're playing Arsenal. And Sam's looking at the tactics board. Who put Ricardo Glad I at that left back. And I, I'm looking around, I said, the kit man. And it actually was. It was the kitman, as you said, the kitman. I said, "Sam's gone. Good idea. I said, I might have a go at that today." So we did a practice match. Played Ricardo, a right back, coming up against a decent winger. <laughs> I think it was um, who was playing winger that day for Arsenal. Lundberg. No, I think it was a Swedish lad, Freddie Lundberg, sorry. Lundberg, yeah. Lundberg. it was, it was Lundberg. And uh, so Ricardo played in this practice match. In Sam's toying with the idea, shall I do it, shall I do it, shall I do it? Did it. Got a nil-nil draw. And we had a man sent off in that game. Nil-nil draw. That was the start of Ricardo Garner as a left back. Unbelievable. So, so it was the kit man? So it was the kit man who had put him in there. Not, not saying that it was probably just messing around yeah, with yeah. the board and he's put Ricardo yeah. at left back. Yeah. And Sam didn't go public with that. He just no. said, oh yes, yeah, a stroke of genius. Like you do.
0: Yeah, but... I'm not being funny, though. I mean, it's it's a sign of somebody who's willing to take other people's Aye. you know mind on board, doesn't it? And not and
2: necessarily he... you have to be a top coach or a, no. a, a top manager. Uh, but what was the what was the question I was talking about something? before. Uh, the City ramp. So the City game, I've said to Brian, I said we've just gone four nil down, thirty nine minutes on the clock. Now, never even thought about who who had scored the goal. He was bought by Man City for thirty three million, and we had a 16 and a half million budget for the whole squad transfer fees, everything. So I never even thought about that. I just thought it was a very uncharacteristic performance. And uh, so far, so we're four 0 down 39 minutes and having witnessed what had gone on before the game and that, that will remain uh, in house. Uh, there was a couple of players that let the side down. Okay. It was boxing day and they had a little bit too much on the, on the day before. And I didn't get that information uh, before the game in time to make changes. I got it at five to three and witnessed the kind of performance. So I had five and a half thousand travelling fans. So I just said to Brian, I'm thinking about doing my half-time team talk over there. As calm as that. I'm thinking about doing my half-time team talk in front of that that five and a half thousand travelling fan group. And he went why not? That's Brian. Parky went. Steve Park just went... Not sure about that. So that I, had a, I still had a decision to make, yeah. but the, that was your import. Went worth it, one, it, yeah, one yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. One so, yes, one no. So the, the turning point for me to carry on walking across that pitch and believing that I was doing the right thing, I walked past Dean Ashby, captain of the club in the second division, first division, championship and the Premier League. And he was... Joe Average in the middle of the party would just break things up and give it simple, break things up and give it simple. But he wore the shirt with pride. Everything about him was whole City through and through. And I, I'm walking on the pitch now at half-time. The whistle's gone and he's coming off. And he's, I can see he's already shaking his head. He's disgusted at being a part of it. Yeah. But, but he probably knew. He probably knew who, who I was going to have a go at, you know. So I'm walking on the pitch and he went, Gaffer, where are you going? I said, just over there in front of that travelling fan group. He just turned around straight away and followed me. And it's because of that, that's taken the massive box for me. Not that he made the, made the decision. They could have just said, don't be stupid. And I, I would have took that from Ash because he was he was, right. he was one of the lads. He was yeah. one of us. And um, he turned around and followed me, just carried on. So he knew what was coming and he knew who the two lads that had let us down. Yeah. So you can second guess I was thinking about the changes. If I made the two changes, the next time I see it, two people let me down... Everyone straight away would have said that, didn't do that, left one of them out there, took one of them off. There's loads of ways of, of letting it letting the group down, as it were, from my perspective. Yeah. Was I letting the group down by what I was doing? Probably. That's the regretful side that I opened the changing room up, up to criticism. Did I? Did did they see a little bit of me then? Absolutely. Yeah. They've seen a lot of me yeah. there. And I've got three jobs on the back of that. Chair two balls I didn't do it for that reason no no but it did though I, I the funny part is John and this is this is football how it gets you I suppose to a certain extent as I'm walking across the pitch I can see Man City's stadium emptying, half time Pies whatever they're going up to the, the boxes they're going they're emptying, and all of a sudden it's like I could see this guy he sort of turned around and then he double took what's going on here he started walking down the city. They started streaming back in. What's going <laughs> city, on. city fans. Yeah. You had five and a half thousand here couldn't go anywhere. They were just yeah. absolutely they were delighted. I mean, were they delighted? you you're just giving up your Christmas day. You're just giving up your boxing day for a side that's letting you down, 4-0 down. Uh, I brought Craig Fagan on, who worked with me at um, uh, he's worked with me at South End United. And uh, Craig made a difference, just working hard. On the, on the front line, we got a 1-1 draw in the second half, if you want to call it that. So did it work? <sighs> Do you know, we survived in the Premier League that year. So first and foremost, there was 70 million back in the coffers. And from that day, the following game, we played Aston Villa at home, John. And uh, it's nil-nil, coming into the latter stages of the game, probably 83rd 80, 80, 80 minute or something like that. We've got a corner. We'll put the corner in and the post. Near post lad goes to the head of the ball, heads it down. And Ashley Young is on the line. He's playing left back at the time. Yeah. Ashley Young's on the line. And he goes to put his hand out. The ball bounces up, goes over the crossbar. Referee gives a penalty straight away. So, but the guy who's running the referees association now, Howard Webb, was fourth official that day. He run down the tunnel. You didn't have a fourth official that was active in them days. They weren't connected. They just had no, the referees no. and the two, you know, they were all connected on the pitch. Yeah. Fourth official runs down the tunnel, goes to the sky screen. So it's almost VAR. And this is like 2008, 2009. He runs down, has a look and see. Ashley Young pulled his hand away. He hasn't handled the ball. Ball's gone over, headed the ball down, it's gone over the crossbar. But he looks like he's got a, a little touch on it, you know. He hasn't. So he's come running back down. He runs down a touch lane, says to the linesman, who's now taking his place along the byline for the penalty. He said, actually pull his, it's not handball. Referee changes his mind, gives a goal kick. They go up the other end of the field of play, beat with one nil. First question that comes out in the press conference is, Do you think you've lost the changing room? <laughs> 83 minutes on the clock. We could be one 0 up against Aston Villa. And they go and get a winner, and do you think you've lost the change room? Because of the West Ham thing. So you've had, you've had a Vardy session go against you 14 years before Barry started. <laughs> <Yes. really? laughs> 14 years before it started.
0: Yeah. Well, Phenomenal.
2: That's crazy. It's um, it's something that stays with me and, and, and doesn't actually come out until down the line, as it were. But we survived that year. So, yeah. you know we got something I think it's still a record if I'm not mistaken we got 20 points from the first 9 games mm-hmm. so when Sam used to break all the you know the things down game by game points by points points per game totals we were the first one bringing that out in the 90s you know Blackpool we started it bit of fun and games and then oh, this is serious business this, if you get 2 points per game you're going to win a title so you, you're setting out you're breaking the, the season down making sure little challenges yeah. as well yeah so all of them things were going on Um and we had got 20 points from nine games from a team that was expected to get out of sight relegated worse than what Derby did, you know, when yeah. Derby County had 13 points in total. We had 20 points from nine games with great wins at, at the Emirates and, and places like that, you know, it was just phenomenal. But then we had done enough at the start of the season to make sure the end was going to be all right. Yeah. So I did that in the middle of that season and the rest of the season was survival we weren't going to win titles because we got 20 points from nine games we We were third top in the the Premier League did we have you know visions of being in Europe no we just knew we were still going to be in a relegation battle we just had to get 35 fairly quick well at least you could
0: start to sort of semi-plan as well because of that start you know what I mean you start looking towards the next
2: season can't you no it was um, it was a job well done in the end yeah Um, Bolton Wanderers being the game that, that kept us in in the Premier League but again Doing something that we did at Bolton, took them up to the lakes, got the players on top of each other, basically take away all the phones. The lakes is a poor signal, so we're all in the Lowood Hotel, and I'm doing this with the team that you know we've done it at Bolton. I'm doing this with Hull City, brand new. They'd not known anything that we had done, you know. I'm just trying to get them to communicate, get them, get them to realise that when you're on the pitch, you've only got your teammates to to worry about. They, if they're supporting you, that's all you can do you win the game you win the game you lose the game you lose the game but your teammates are supporting you you've got a better chance so we ditched all the phones we went up there for two or three days um, and we'd got a draw at Bull uh, 1-1 and that kept us because we got beat off Man United 1-0 the following week and that was the last game of the season so that one point kept us in the Premier League Brilliant. great achievement yeah uh, among, amongst uh, I'm a gambling man I like a punt uh, we were 20-1 to 1 on to get relegated Wow. You just couldn't get a price, it was just ridiculously. Um, people were being disrespectful, yeah. 104 years since you've been in the Premier League, we'd never been in the Premier League, we'd never been in there, so we had nothing to fear. We didn't know what it looked like, so we went in that with, cane, with that kind of attitude, you know, and then uh, proved everybody wrong. When you've got a point to prove, you know, it's like best season as a manager, yeah. That one. I think, I think that the. the a lot of people have asked surviving in the Premier League or getting promoted to the yeah. Premier League, which was the best. It's a real tough, tough question. It really is. Surviving in the Premier League. We survived, and I made a fool of myself by singing on the pitch. but going to we, that. We survived. <laughs> <laughs> we survived by getting beat off Manchester United, who were going to the Champions League yeah. final three days later. Yeah. So we got beat 1-0. That's not real. No. But, you know, rubbing shoulders with the big, boys yeah i suppose you've got to say that's the pinnacle of your Picking career. your wits
0: against other yeah coaches and that's and the pinnacle managers.
2: of your career yeah. getting promoted to the premier league you're not playing against the best but however you've still got to get promoted you know you got 46 games and then three in the playoffs it was a great achievement getting to the playoffs but surviving in the premier league oh that Big. was that was Big. probably the best which
0: takes me to the survival and the song <laughs> Sloop John B. Yeah, it's uh, now no one knew karaoke and all that. You get the <laughs> mic, that's it, gone. Nobody else was
2: going to get a go anyway. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was like natural, just well, Jay. When I got the mic, yeah, my mother, my mother always said to me because she was a singer, she was an entertainer. My ma. Yeah. so it was my dad, my dad used to get up in the pubs and whatever you, but she used to always say, if you get a microphone, you've got to start singing. Now, that's not <laughs> that's not a, um, a scene for me getting, but um. The chief of police at Hull, Hull City at the time handed me the microphone. I'm coming out of the changing room, I've got all the team behind me, we're coming out for a lap of honour. And the guy, chief of police, just goes, Can you clear the can you clear the pitch? The pitch, you cannot see any grass. He said, Can you clear the pitch? He said, There's no way you can do a lap of honour. We cannot, we haven't got enough police. We haven't got enough security in the place. So can you clear the pitch? So I'm walking down that tunnel thing and I'll come, you know, the players will come outside if Oh, look, what you say it's nothing but grass. It was empty. So what do you do with your mouth? <laughs> microphone and there was, they had started singing it, so I just yeah. jumped in. Yeah. And uh, regrets, I have a few. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't come across too bad for me, like you know. What
0: I mean? but
2: you're, oh, yeah, I've seen worse performances uh, from you. Absolutely. <laughs> but I've been on the Brazil show a couple of times, and that's the first thing you hear, and I'm yeah. thinking, oh, no. there you go. Uh,
3: Sometimes it's good, though, isn't it? Aye, absolutely. I don't call that a mistake. I call that having a laugh.
2: It's uh, being human, I suppose. Yeah. But managers, certainly the higher you go up, you're not allowed to You're not allowed you're to not allowed show that to be. Scene, are you? No, no. No.
3: So we could go on all day, but we've got a golf match to do, Phil. We're at yeah. this beautiful golf course here. I think we can talk about South End on the course. Mm-hmm. What's your current handicap? Uh 12. 12. John's got a new right, one. By the way.
0: Yeah, yes, it's, a, it's a mixed pattern. Yes, it's a of part line in 12. I can tell straight away. <laughs> right, looks you know right. A part. Right, so, Right, so... that means eight, really. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Which is the same
0: <laughs> as
3: you. I wish it was eight.
2: Phil, you know Phil you've been
3: brilliant, mate.
0: No, Thank, yeah. you, very Thank you very much. much. No, it's Appreciate been an pl- absolute pleasure. It. Good to catch up with you and... Uh, yeah, it's just not long enough, is it? You know it isn't long me? enough. Brilliant.